as the Wheel of Time turns, where we unravel the weavings of Amazon's Wheel of Time. I am Nye Bliss, and I am joined by some of my chosen co-presenters. Uh, Brie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Lee, how's it going? Great. Happy to be here. And Sarah, how are you doing? Full on morning. Just full on. Yep. I see it. <laughs> Sarah has a an all-white getup. I was not sure if she was going for the novice look or, or the morning, but... A lot of white in this episode. Yes. <laughs> a lot of white. A lot of options. Well, one thing I know you weren't going for. <laughs> you don't think clips. I'm a child I mean, of the light? I don't think you were going for the white clips. No. <laughs> I guess it's a real flexible costume. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's true. We can get you a lot of white leather and you can just, you know, <laughs> lean into it. A lot of white in the wheel. It's mm-hmm. That's for true. That's mm-hmm. true. A lot of white. Um, I think we'll get some more on the uh, dark side of things as, as we progress, but we'll see. Um we have segments here that we do on, on this year's podcast, um, and quite a number of them are a lot of fun. First, we'll start out with a recap. Like some are not. <laughs> All are fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Including the recap, which I will lead. Um, then we have Tavern of the Week, which is uh, who is the most interesting character that is decided by Bree. Um, I will then take Gleeman's Corner, which is the best quote or conversation slash scene. And then we have Novice's Notes, uh, where we get theories and speculation from Lee and probably a bit from Sarah, followed up by my favorite segment, Dragon Power Rankings. Dragon Power Rankings, big shakeup this week. It's been in the news, and there's the Chirons on all of the news channels. (laughs) Big shakeup in the Dragon Power Rankings, I won't bury the lead. A lot to see there. That's going to be a big segment. I feel like we almost had a big shakeup last week, but the big shakeup was there was no shakeup. So I'm excited to see what we we have. It was like actually, a, it was like a stock that went up a hundred like dollars and then dropped a hundred dollars in the same trading day. That's what the dragon <laughs> power rankings were last week. This week, real shakeup. They okay. actually we actually right. have a change in the rankings. Okay, I am excited. So um, that'll be our part one, which is going to be book spoiler free, but we are going over the episode. Um, and then we'll go into our spoiler-heavy part of the episode in part two. Um, but for now, um, we should wander into our recap. But before that, I want to suggest that all of our listeners look at the bonus content on Amazon. Um, it's kind of hard to find. Uh, it's in the X-ray and then bonus content. It does fill things out and is really cool. You. I suggest you you uh, go do that. But okay, let's explain it. So the X-ray is like you can get that typically through like pausing, and then there's right. some directional thing you can do. Exactly. Not everybody has done that before. Right. So you pause, and then you go up, and it gets X-ray. But the problem is on most TVs, you can't actually do it. So you have to either go through your phone or computer. Hopefully, they'll get this figured out at some point. But basically, it's it's usually somewhat related to the episode, and just provides a little bit more uh, background to the world. As evidence of how difficult it is to get to, I had forgotten that these extras existed and have not oh, watched no. any past the first one that we watched. Are they still doing it in the cool artistic style? Yes. yes. Okay. It's, it's still in the cool artistic style, and this week was a lot more about the history of Tarvala. Cool. So. I will I will enjoy those tonight when <laughs> I go home and rediscover that they exist. Tarvala, that's the, that's the town with the white tower. Yes. I'm not sure I would call it a town. That seems a bit diminutive. City? Yeah, yeah, it's probably one of the bigger cities in, in the world. It didn't look super big, but I mean, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, okay, cool. Are we ready for the recap? Let's do yes. it. Okay, well, normally uh, I would just bruise right in the recap, but we got a lot of listeners. A lot of people are listening to this. So that means I have to plug the other pods because I have to make sure that all the listeners know that uh, they can get to other Mangum Talks pods. It's a Mangum Talks podcast. You can get to any Mangum Talks podcast 
by just going to your favorite podcast provider. You can use the one that you're going to right now and just type in Mangum Talks, M-A-N-G-U-M Talks. And if you like Succession, we're doing a review podcast right now on Succession called Mind of Succession that it's okay. I do it. It's all right. <laughs> Not as good as this one, but it's pretty good. Uh, okay. Ready for the recap? Let's do it. Yes. Season one, episode five, Blood Calls Blood. I still don't know what that title means. Don't understand what that title means. Anybody? Did I miss something obvious? Uh, I spoiler looks. Spoiler looks. I, I, I yeah. don't think. I don't I, think we have a clear. Yeah. Exactly no. what this is actually supposed to relate to. It is a chapter title in the books. Yeah. But the stuff that happens in that chapter is not necessarily what we see here. Fairly different. So there's a lot of speculation online that it's has to do with how they bookended the episode, mm-hmm. um, and so that. I guess a little bit of a spoiler for the recap that we're about to do. Uh, Anissa die or dies early on, and it is her blood that calls the blood of her warder who dies at the end of the episode. God damn it, BJ. You're so good. That was good. <laughs> and a little bit of a... Damn, this is kind of related point, but just a little bit different nuance to it. It's not only bookended with the, the death of Karini and the death of Stepan, mm-hmm. but it's specifically funeral funeral yes Um, and so that is where i'm really getting the parallel of like what is blood and what is blood too yeah okay uh we get a lot of parent in the previously on i noticed that a little more than normal a description of the fact that men can't use the one power without being corrupted they want to jam that home men can't use the one power without being corrupted uh karini's death of course we get and then naive tapping into the one power to round out our recap let me start with funeral it's the ice and eyes carrying candles uh during the funeral. So they, they carry candles around um, during this procession. And Stefan carries Karini to a burial spot. Stefan does take Karini's ring. He doesn't put it on. He puts it in like a necklace and then puts it around his, uh, around him. So he's carrying the necklace around. And he covers her. And I'll tell you, this actor plays this episode really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just seems despondent, shattered. Um, just completely out of it. He seems like he's only about 40% there at any point when he's talking to people. Um, Moraine places the candle on Karini's corpse and says these words, may the last embrace of the mother welcome you home. Okay. Uh, Moraine shares a look with Lan and then we back up and see a lot of folks have died in a lot of burials and they have a pretty cool burial ritual. It's like a, like a fanned out circle of everybody sort of being buried in a circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cold opening this week was two minutes and 40 seconds. Not normal. And then we cut to the, the opening sequence. So I thought it was really cool. This is uh, one of the big scenes that we got in the trailer. And so this was the scene that uh, was mirrored with the uh, Beltine celebration where they were dancing in circles. Mm. And then it immediately cut to this scene. And so I just <laughs> thought it was like, a, it, it's fun to recognize the scenes from the, like, the teaser and trailer. Mm-hmm. If we were really industrious, we could like have like a YouTube channel where we like tick off all of the yeah, actually, I feel like that would be really useful just yeah, for my people, personal understanding of what is. We there have now hunted that. down yes. fifty-six of ninety-two scenes. Yeah, <laughs> well, it becomes important because then you start to say, okay, well, there's these three scenes left that we haven't seen, so we know mm-hmm. that's coming up, like foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. Then we see a time jump of one month, so apparently it takes them one more month to get to where they're going, and we see the Reds traveling together. I like to show that the Reds stick together. Uh, Stefan is leading uh, Karini's horse. And it seems to have Karini's boot on the horse as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I think that's maybe uh, some, a, an identifiable thing. 
him doing that. Yeah, so I think this is supposed to be a direct sort of callback to a lot of military processions that you'll see where the horse of the fallen, say, cowboy man is being led through the procession with boots facing backward in the saddle. And so that's a tradition demonstrating that like that person has passed away in the line of duty or mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, so that's a thing of our world too. Yes. Okay, all right. I thought that might have been an in-world thing, but okay, cool. Uh, then we see Loghain, going to go ahead and say this. Uh, give myself a lot of credit for the speculation section. I crush it pretty much every week. I think I've been right just about every week, at least in some percentage. I've not been completely wrong about anything. I think I might have been wrong about the idea that Logan could still touch the old power. Doesn't seem like he can channel anymore. He really seems pretty cut off. <laughs> Just going to point that out. Um, Leanne looks to Moraine and says they're home. Moraine asks him, do you think of it as home anymore? And he's like, don't you? Here's a quote from her. The saddle is home. These cloaks, these boots, this brooding man at my side. She's trying to flirt. Wasn't Marine flirting a little bit, maybe? Just eat, wee bit, wee bit flirting. Anyway. We're just being like, look, seriously, dude, we've been on the trail for... Two years, ever. right? That's I think that's what they said, two yeah. years since she's been back there. Um, they talk a little bit about Nynaeve, and Moraine points out that she eats every night at the Warder's Fire. So what we set, what we saw initially, where she was eating mm-hmm. at the Warder's Fire, apparently she's continued to do that for this month. Not really a surprise. Moraine indicates that Stefan is a strong man and he'll deliver Karini's ring to the tower. Apparently that's something that, this is what I'm gathering, something warders are supposed to do. If uh, some guy dies, or so, uh, not some guy, uh, Aes Sedai dies, uh, he's supposed to take that ring and deliver it to the tower. Now I see BJ... I think of, you'll love this because this is your favorite thing that we always do. Not this has nothing book. to do with anything in the books. Yeah, I, at this point I think they're completely off the books. I don't think there's any purpose in reading the books from what I can tell. <laughs> completely, completely off of it. But anyway, this thing about this ring, he's supposed to take it to the tower and she's basically saying he's a strong guy he will be able to do it through his grief. So, and I think this is valuable because it does show us that he has a purpose yeah. that he is trying to accomplish. That I was, think that's important for the end of the episode. Yeah, that was my read on this. I didn't know if it happened at all during the books or, nope. or not, but it does seem to be a sort of where we get to at the end of this book. If he didn't have this thing that I, as a warder, it is my duty to do, right? I don't know that he's really coming back to Tarvalon, right? And I know yeah. it doesn't happen in the books, but I actually really like it because it does, you know, that that bringing it back home, right? Mm-hmm. So the Aes Sedai returns home. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gives them a chance to maybe help the warder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of that That's a great is, is actually yeah. really good. It forces the warder to come back to the White Tower. Yeah. Right? And maybe they can they can try to get him hooked up with somebody else or at least get him some help in some way. Spent a lot of money and time in these guys and (laughs) you outfitted them. You don't want them just dying. Yeah. Absolutely. It also... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I I like that they have highlighted the Aes Sedai's rings in this way as well because we get a specific focus on the rings in a different setting later Mm -hmm. in this episode, which like really in my mind makes me wonder, okay, where are these rings going? I was going to say two different settings that I thought were really yes, interesting. Yes, it is two so, different settings, yeah. Um, yeah we'll get there. Um, Maureen, um, uh, so then Lan uh, asked about the others. And you think he's asking about like a Green Rand, Perrin, Matt, the people they've been chasing for years and years. And Maureen's like, look, they're going to be at the tower, pretty sure. Uh, and if they're not, dang it, we're going to find them. Uh, she seems a lot of confidence. Cut to Rand and Matt, and we see right away that Matt is having visions. He looks awful, I'm going to say. He's... he's really uh, deteriorating by the episode. And the visions he's having, the way that they do it visually uh, on the screen is pretty interesting in that, you know, 
you just see something and it kind of looks weird and then it'll snap and you see Matt. So you don't really, you don't, I mean, you can suspect, but you don't really know for sure that you're seeing a vision right away. And that comes in later with my man Loghain. Um, but again, he's, he's pretty bad. Rand asks him if he's okay. He says, you stop looking at me like you're my bloody wet nurse. Uh, they get into some sort of mountain and Rand says, I think I've seen this before. They turn the corner and whoop-bam, there they are. They're at the White Tower. They're at this this not town, this city. <laughs> uh, this big, yes. big grand city. They're there. Uh, notice that the, yeah, Tarvalon. And then uh, we get some great music as Rand and Matt enter the city. Now, this is something that, uh, a type of scene that we have seen in a lot of television shows, which is when you have a big, important city and you have weary travelers that we've been following, you get the first person of them going into the city. And it's great because you kind of get the sense that you're walking into it too. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get exposed to it. We got this at King's Landing with Game of Thrones. We've got it. Uh, I think we, we got a similar type of thing in Westworld. I mean, very different type of world, but a very similar type of first person entering the park. And then we got it here too, which I thought was really neat. And you got some great music as they played. Uh, some of that great fantasy music uh, kicking off in the background. Rand takes off toward a specific place and says that Tom told him about it uh, and that the innkeeper apparently was an old friend of Tom. Matt asks if they're going to the White Tower, and Rand says, we will, but let's look a little better before we do. Rand mentions how expensive the place is. Apparently one night there is more expensive than a month at Wine Spring Inn. That's the inn at home. The inn at home? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Egwene's parents' inn. Right. Well, you know, I do want to talk to Rand, but well, I mean, you know, you're, you're in a city. little different yeah. class here, bro. Like, <laughs> I can't really compare it to Wine Spring Inn. Uh, but anyway, I guess that's all he knows. I was very excited during this scene when they entered Tarvalon. We get a camel. And it was a very fuzzy camel. It was a very fuzzy camel. <laughs> Sarah got really excited. I loved everything about it. She did. She got real excited. Yeah. I, Brie, I was anyway. about to ask you specific questions about the camels, oh, but I don't think no, they're your specialty. They are not so. my specialty. Absolutely not. I can tell you that's a camel. It, it feels like it's a specific breed of camel, but that's more than likely. about Probably. as far as I can Maybe. go. Is it a one lump or a two lump? I don't even know. I was just like, that's a camel. Maybe it was a, it was a camel that's been with the tinkers. And getting little dreads going. <laughs> Apparently that's what you do but with the tinkers. Yes. I think it's cool because it's showing you sort of the breadth of this world and that there are maybe other cultures that use camels as their pack animals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also that Tarvalon is really sort of a way station for everywhere. Yeah. Like, that there are so many different things and so many different people that you see wandering in just like the first couple of shots mm-hmm. that this is really uh, a busy, way, uh, yeah, bustling. A, like a mecca for, for the world. Like everybody comes here for various reasons. Very clean city too. It yes. was and bright. Yes, a little too clean for this world. I think. I, don't think, that makes a lot of sense. I think it, it. I was thinking about this. I think it's okay, and it did highlight that like we have finally gotten some dirt on our on our main characters yes. at this point. Yeah. They have finally gotten a little grimy. I mean, it's a super small point. It's almost not even worth wasting my breath. But like, if you're going to show a city that clean, you probably need some people in the background that you show the sort of apparatus around cleaning, right? Yeah. Um, people, which would be interesting, yeah, or something. Yeah, I don't know. You just fill it out with world creation. Um, they walk in and Matt goes right to the bed. Rand keeps looking at him, very concerned. Matt, tell me again. The little girl, the farm. Rand reiterates to him that it wasn't him. It wasn't you. Tom and I saw it. Matt, Tom isn't here. Tom's dead. So we've got two questions going on here. Uh, I'm not going to do a round robin. Just see anybody wants to grab him. First one, do we think Tom's dead? Tom Marilyn. I do not think Tom's dead. And specifically, I do not think Tom's dead because they had they have too good of an actor playing him. 
and they've created too interesting of a character. But they've killed other characters that are quite interesting. But there was like a real resolution to those deaths. If you don't see him die. In which there wasn't, yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, we've seen deaths, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I think that they'll eventually do deaths off screen, but for a purpose. Yeah. Um, and, And we didn't get that. It didn't seem to me that Tom was starting that fight uh, panicked. He seemed like he knew what he was doing with that yeah. shit. He had some uh, endless knives coming out of everywhere. Absolutely. And number two, <laughs> second question, do we think Matt killed the family? If this is something you guys can't answer, I will offer my opinion. If it's something you can't answer, fire away. I mean, I, th- I think as we discussed, like, I don't think so. Like, there wasn't yeah. any blood on his knife. He just, I think he doesn't know. I think when we Which get is... those visions, like, he's just out of it until he snaps back. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are things that snap him back. Children always seem to, because we have that brief scene early on where like yes. the kid stumbles by and, and he like sees the kid and snaps out of it. Um, so, so that's my take that um, he did not. Yeah. But I do think it's a good, it's a good point to emphasize that with these visions and especially as, as deep into them as Matt seems to be, our other, we see visions from Rand sometimes, but like we, they're never quite as I think deep we as his. Get dreams. With dreams. Rand that's and true. Perrin. That is the difference. Is is yeah. dreams and visions? Okay, but that um, they they do either way. They seem to be really realistic when you're in them, and Matt doesn't seem to be in any any state to be teasing out what's real and what's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another great shot of the White Tower, and we see Moraine and Lan walking with Nynaeve in tow. They walk in, and Moraine and Lan explain that they are in the Warder's Quarters. Warder's Quarters, which is the safest place for her. Stay away from the sisters, because apparently she is just chum. She's just fresh meat uh, for the for the piranhas. BJ? So she said from the sisters that we came with. Sure. I think she's talking about like the white, red, the red sisters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she goes on to, like, I, so I think that might be what she means in that scene. Right. I do think she clarifies later. She should be worried about pretty much all of them. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she, she talking about the, the politics. And of, I, I wanted to highlight your uh, crawl early on that you thought we would get a little bit more politics once we saw a couple more Aes Sedai. Yeah. Um, it's really spot on. With it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, Nynaeve says she, doesn't care at all about that, only cares about her friend. Wants to know what they are. And screams that she wants to know what they are. Moraine explains that, look, I've got eyes and ears at every gate of the city. If they arrive, I'll know. Uh, <laughs> I like Moraine, but it seems like she might have missed that one. Because uh, Rand, Rand and, um, uh, and Matt are there. So it seems like she doesn't know that. Nynaeve then questions, will you tell me? And says, maybe I'll have a look around myself. Moraine goes on to tell her, look, don't underestimate the power of the women of this tower. I think this is a really great, great quote here. They each have their own goal, their own agenda, her own pride and ambition. As powerful as you are, these women have spent decades honing their strength, masking their weaknesses. And when news spreads of your presence here, which it will, you'll be expected to become a novice immediately. If you're not careful, those tower politics will eat you alive. So we learn a lot there, right? We learn that Basically, she's like famous now, naive, for what this thing that she's done, or at least among the sisters. Uh, sisters know that she tapped into one power and saved land, saved a bunch of them that apparently has been circulated. And now they want to they want to get their hands on naive. And there's an expectation that naive is now going to become an Aes Sedai. She's going to become an Aes. I don't think that's and, and while that seems to be an expectation for Moraine, it certainly doesn't seem to be something we know for sure that naive is going to be interested in. 
based on what she said about the Aes Sedai. Yes, the right. Um, Nynaeve then does the dumbest posturing thing. On the <laughs> Ania is so stupid. She's like, well, if I'm so powerful, maybe you guys should be scared of me. And then when she does, Moraine goes, <laughs> it's a it's a look Sarah gives me all the time. It's just a sort of, oh, God. Like, did you really just say that? And then Lan, Lan just looks and goes, okay, I'll get out of here. And so he leaves so that Marine can kind of talk more openly to her. And maybe in a way that she'll feel maybe a little bit more comfortable showing her own weaknesses, right? Uh, and Moraine says, it's okay to be afraid. You reached out and you touched the source. You saw how small you are in comparison to it and how great you are in comparison to those you've always loved. And now you're wondering how you fit into the world. Can you ever go back to being who you were? I know because I felt it the first time too. I thought this was really interesting. She goes, and the answer is no. She's like pretty obvious with her. She's like, no, the answer is no. Uh, you will never be the same. Uh, but it's time that you saw that for the gift that it is. Now, stay here and do not speak to anyone. And I will try to protect you as best I can. And when we found your friends, I will bring them to you. This was the point in the episode where I paused it and texted you guys, oh my God, I love Moraine so much. Because <laughs> I thought this was so great because she's like, she sets her straight. Basically, you don't need to be just like walking around here with all these ice to die. They're going to eat you alive. And then when she's like, well, I'm not going to listen to you, like the bratty 12-year-old, Moraine's like, look, I know you're actually hurting. Like, that's where this is coming from. I'm going to connect with you real quick. And I do think that she's starting to establish some trust with Nynaeve. I, I do think Nynaeve's kind of coming around on Moraine a little bit. So, Lee, you're a manager. Yeah, firework. What lessons learned are you taking from this interaction <laughs> when dealing with your employees? What am I? Oh, from Moraine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that... That sometimes, yeah. So I think that what she does so well is that she's she's understanding where the words are coming from, and she's not necessarily responding to just the words, right? Somebody might say something to you, and Moraine is like heard what she said, but is is responding to what is meant by those words instead of what the words are, and it's like a really like a. She's like actually more dialed into emotion than I thought she would be. Everybody talks about her like she's this robot. But she seems to be like really empathetic um, with with Nynaeve in this scene. So I was impressed. I think that there's like the dichotomy between her not talking a lot with the other Aes Sedai and her being like motionless. And that like gets confused for like all the other Aes Sedai around her. And I I think it's fairly clear that, that she's reasonably good about expressing emotion to other people in certain circumstances. But specifically, and I thought this was a really good call just with Nynaeve, without Lan there. Because if Lan were there, it'd be a very different dynamic. And so, I mean, obviously this isn't like the, you know, uh, criticize in private, like praise in public, but it's kind of like that, where it's just like, you know, we're this is a really touchy subject and, you, and she wants to have it be very personal. And that's more easily done when it's just the two of them, rather than like anybody else around. I think it's a great point. Back to your question about, I just had another thought about what I learned as a manager. Yeah. Be careful about the environment you give feedback in. Moraine was careful to give that thing about her being scared. She said that when Lan was gone. I think that's pretty important. Uh, to your point, BJ, is it, I think you're right. And isn't that indicative of the ego of some of these Aes Sedai? Like, do they think that like, well, if she's not talking this way to me, then she must not be capable right like she's if she's not like expressing emotion to us like it doesn't seem to cross these ladies minds that maybe moraine just doesn't like them very much (laughs) (laughs) so i think that there's that but also think about what tower politics are what moraine's doing what everybody else is doing and what that might mean for her and like 
in the broader scope of what we know about the Ace of Death. Okay, let's yeah, let's lead the listeners. So what, yep. she is off trying to find the dragon. Exactly. And they seem to be pretty interested in finding false dragons and uh, punishing them for it. So it seems to be maybe that they're a little on other sides of the prophecy. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I think that, that she has to play everything so close to her chest because, like, otherwise they know that she's basically completely off the reservation for from what most everybody else is doing right now. And so, you know... Some of that might be, you know, she's uncomfortable with being friendly because it's like, all right, well, I can't let anything slip. Mm -hmm. Because if I do, like, everybody's against me. Sure. At least two really powerful ones are. We learned that later. So do you think that Maureen expects Nynaeve to obey her when she says, don't leave this room? No. So I think it's like a strong suggestion, but she thinks she's, I think Maureen seems very aware that Nynaeve is is capable of just doing what she wants to at any point. But I I think she's hoping maybe I connected enough with her that she'll start to listen to me. And it does seem she's starting to listen to Moraine. I mean, she she certainly doesn't bristle when Moraine speaks the way she used to. And at the very least, she has warned her and and warned her in a way that seems to have stuck about the other Aes Sedai and their motivations and machinations as well. Because I think that plays out, although Nynaeve is already sussed out... (laughs) Uh, sussed out our girl in red already, but it it shows that it shows in that conversation. Yeah, your well girl later. in red ain't, ain't mine. <laughs> so, you like my kind. I will say, and and to your point, Bree, like I, I think that not like that. Maureen knew Nynaeve wasn't going to pay attention to her yeah. advice, but I think that she was giving advice because it might be useful later on in her life. Mm-hmm. And I had a a wonderful mentor who gave me a lot of advice that. I started taking much later than he actually like gave me years advice. Later. Maybe not that long, but mm-hmm. maybe that long. Um, hey, you have started to listen to me, BJ. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that now. Uh, okay, cut to the Tinker's Walk-In. We don't do winners and losers of the episode. If we were, I'm going to say the Tinker's were a loser this episode. Not a strong Tinker episode. Uh, we see Perrin and Aram, and Perrin has made his hair up like Aram, which I like. Uh, I like to point out, I'm not quite sure that he's doing it just because, like, he thinks Aram's so cool. I think he's doing it because it's like, when you're like, you can't wash your hair, like, that's where dreadlocks came from. It's like a way to, like, right. keep your hair, like, not completely matted and in some sort of, like, manageable form. So I think that's probably why he's doing that. Parent calls out that they are, well, you guys are all nonviolent, but your dogs sure do kill and eat every damn thing they see. <laughs> What's going on with that? And Aram punches back and says, like, the way of the leaf doesn't deny violence. It's about accepting that it exists, Right. Uh, but one more tur- turnip curry and I'll be joining you. <laughs> so I like the, the turnip curry. Like, uh, it sounds actually pretty good to me. I don't understand why they shit on that. That's Ooh. what we should have had for dinner. Yeah. Right Maybe they're just beating it up. Maybe they just had it too much. You know. A green runs up. Going to point out a lot of hanging on Perrin's arm, guys. A lot of hanging on his arm. <laughs> I didn't arm. notice that. A lot of hanging. Also, I just want to point out, too, is this the first time in, like, since the first episode that we've seen someone legitimately happy yes. in the world. Like, yeah. she's in a good Elaine, mood. Elaine right? happy, yeah. And we don't see she that in the really show. She seems to really be enjoying her time yeah. with the Tinkers. She likes the Tinkers. Yeah. It's true. She actually told I mean, there might be one that she really likes. She really probably likes Aram. I mean, she seems mm-hmm. like there's a, like a like a big... There's a lot... There's like a reality show for a green like, at this point <laughs> that we have to pull together. There's a lot of potential suitors. We've, <laughs> we've also had a month of them traveling with people who she... 
you know, basically got to let loose in the last episode for the yeah, first time like, yeah. since, since she left. She got to dance. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're meant to take away is this is not like an abnormal thing of them having like music and dancing yes. after dinner yeah, and like normal, hanging out. And so she's happy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I totally get it. And she even pointed out to her last episode. She's like, I think you guys might have found the key to happiness here. because That's pretty, pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she does say, though, uh, because getting back to Bree's point from an earlier episode, how she does have that ambition. She does get excited because they're getting near the White Tower, right? Yeah. And she points that out. And there is clear jubilation from like, we're getting to the White Tower. And we get the quote, seems like you won't have to suffer through our turnip curry much longer. Uh, they stop and uh-oh, uh-oh. At the front of the caravan, they see the white cloaks. So white cloaks can always spoil a good party. <laughs> And it's the same white cloaks with the same maniac we've seen in previous episodes. <laughs> and they're asking the tinkers about the false dragon who they claim to know nothing about. Why the hell are they asking about the false dragon? Why are they, why, why? I thought they were after the Aes Sedai. Why do they care about this guy? I think that there are a couple of possibilities. I think one of the main ones is they know that there are Aes Sedai escorting the false dragon to Tarvalon. And I think they might have been hoping to intercept them there. Like they're, they might be a little bit more vulnerable. Um... I would guess. Oh, they were wrong about that. They got like seven of those sisters there. Right, but some of them, well, up, they, they might not know that the Aes Sedai had gentled Loghain because up until then, they were kind of maxed out just like holding him. Um, so, and they were supposed to be holding him to come back to Tarvalon. Exactly. So they might yeah. be busy so, right. shielding. Here's and, the thing. Yeah. I recognize that like they have killed some Aes Sedai, right? They have. And we see that. We see through the rings. But the fact that Tarvalon just exists as a city and just is chilling, like, shows that the White Cloaks aren't that damn powerful. Otherwise, they'd stomp in there and try to get the Aes Sedai, right? Like, they're not that powerful. They can't be. Correct. And and so they know about the Three Oaths, which we get a little bit more mm-hmm. confirmation on yeah. later this episode. And so I think it's, they know that they have to be doing this in compromising situations. Like, if they marched on Tarvalon and were clear, clearly intending violence against all these sisters, they know that they'd be leveled. But if, when they're out on some other mission, you can come in and, and hamstring a couple or something like that. Yeah, I got you. They're sort of like the schoolyard, schoolyard bullies, finding anybody they can pick on. Yeah, and sure. then moving they on with their lives. Got to kind of pick them off here and there because they know they can't, they can't do a full battle. Um, there's no chance at that. Uh, so they, um, they asked the Tinkers about the False Dragon, which I mentioned. The questioner looks over and sees Perrin and Egwene, uh, Egwene and then commands for them to be brought to him. Uh, and Ela pushes back and says, they can't go. Uh, you can't get these guys. Uh, they're, they're us. They're, 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 for, they're us. They, one of the, I think her buddy speaks up that they were bred our campfire. They ate our food. They're a Tinker now. Like, you can't, you can't take them. And the guy's like, you can't. Like, you can't. What are you, are you telling me what to do? Like, you guys, what are you talking about? Like, you can't fight. And then we get this quote, the way of the leaf against the way of the light. And uh, Illa says, you can cover the light with the palm of a child's hand, but a leaf, even if you crush it, bury it, burn it, becomes a part of the earth and the air. And before she can even get that out, uh, I think he smacks her. Um, So one thing they do is when he's like, what are you guys going to do to stop me from just going and taking them? They link arms. Mm -hmm. Um, A little nonviolent protest. Very like like Selma Bridge. And it it harkens to that, right? And I think all of us watching it were supposed to really get like a real emotional response from that. Because there's this like music that goes on in the background when they link arms. And I, I feel like it's a really powerful moment. And what I like about this show is that they, they're not, they're not, like suffering fools, right? Like it's like within this world with the rules that we've created, 
this isn't going to last long. And it doesn't. Yeah. It lasts for like 10 seconds. And then they just yeah. kick the shit out of them. And then they go find the, the going yeah. to repair it and take them. Like, yeah. and that's, unfortunately, that's how this kind of works for, for pacifists. And, and you how could, it works for the tinkers. And you could tell, too, that they, like, they were not going into the, the tinkers do this all, this is their way of life. They know what the consequences are. You could see there was a look that Isla gave the people like, next right. to her that were, was like, okay, this is what's going to happen now. Yeah. Um, and it was like completely eyes wide open going into that situation. So quick poll. So when Isla said uh, a child's hand could cover the light, mm-hmm. did you think it was a capital or a lowercase C? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this in different reading or different viewings mm-hmm. of it. Um, I think for now for me, it's a capital C. Okay. I think it's a capital C. Lee? I thought it was like backwoods nonsense. You know how these, these gypsies talk. <laughs> the sunlight of the spirit carries the earth and then the dirt it harnesses and you're like, come on. I thought you were just talking nonsense. So I thought that it was supposed to be a capital C. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, that's pretty subtle and we don't really get the like call me child Valda until later in the episode. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if it's like a little bit of foreshadowing. So I think that they've so they've clearly dealt with the children of the light before because we we have this you know they're not going to kill us they only just like oh hit I think us that's how she time. meant it I don't know if that's how the viewer is meant it right no, no, no. I guess that like it's my my thought is that's how she meant it and it was like a dig an insult at, yeah. like mm-hmm. a, an insult and that might mm-hmm. be why. One of the reasons why he hit her so quickly. So you might be right. You absolutely might be right. I'm going to talk for the casual here. The casual heard that as just blah, 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 blah religious. Yeah. But the, the good thing about it is that it does work. It's just absolutely. kind yeah. of right. nonsense. Like too. Yeah. Yeah. Just a small hand. hand. Yeah. 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 And I just assumed that he just was going to hit her. She could have been saying, and you know, you look really nice in that, <laughs> that dress. And he's going to be like, bam. Like he's going to hit her anyway. That's what I thought. Um, and they run. And as they run... When I mean they, Aram, Perrin, and a green run, and it looks like a white cloak on a on a horse mm-hmm. comes through and just wallops Aram. And I don't mm-hmm. know if he's dead or what. He does say to them beforehand, like they can't kill a to a, a phenom, like they can't kill one of us. They're just right. gonna beat us up. Yeah. Um, but it did, but it does look like he's at least out for the count. And then they take a green Perrin. I mean, if you're gonna get bodied by a horse, you're going down. Yeah, it's not good. I, I, I just wonder if he's probably still alive, but like I think that the casual is probably wondering. Definite CTE involved here. Yeah. 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 It's a couple of games on the bench yeah. before he can get back in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Little, yeah little, little, let's put him in concussion. Little Swiss cheese brain going. He might be a little slower <laughs> yeah. if we see him again. Yeah, I'm in concussion protocols. Not allowed, yep. not allowed back till episode seven. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then we have the rant, and he is looking in the book. And the book. He, we see, he says the Carithan cycle. Now, I'm going to guess that that's some lore or something. Because if you tell me that the Carithan cycle is not connected to the book at all, I'm going to be massively disappointed. It, it, it in is 100% in the book. Um, <laughs> the, the, so, so say, don't, don't just throw it nonsense. This is a lot of like the lore that, that is just like written out in the book. And so I think that they're trying to weave it in a little bit more seamlessly rather than having somebody just like read Spout stuff to you. and so I, this is you know they're slowly putting it in sure i think it's great yeah slow yeah. burn yeah and i figured that right i figured that it was something like that uh and then the door opens and we hear a very deep voiced thing say something and then i heard squealing next to me because <laughs> sarah was so excited about this character 
this is uh, Loyal, mm-hmm. son of Errant, son of Halan, yes. who is an Ogier, not an ogre, an Ogier. That gets corrected. I just want to point out that in the books, I, I do have a background in French and speak reasonable French. I absolutely read this as Ogier in the books every time. <laughs> so. You're a little surprised at Ogier? I was, yeah. <laughs> the Ogre versus Ogier like, reminds me of old Richard Pryor joke where he was like, you know, it's when somebody's really smelling bad, it's it's it's, a, it's Odier. It's not odor. It's Odier. Odier. <laughs> okay, not odor. It's pretty um, so I think this is also a similar to uh, I think last episode where we had Leandra and like I don't know how is it nine ave like mm-hmm. what are we doing here I think this is another oh like, it seemed like they were planting yeah, exactly mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. I, I, I thought felt like it was a fourth wall joke yeah for sure uh, he says you humans are very excitable uh, so he we, he we get a lot of like insight into how he views humans oh gears view humans which I thought was pretty cool uh, this is the first time I think other than the oh, what you call it the Creatures of the night. Trollocs. Trollocs. Other than Trollocs that we see other species. In. Yeah. I mean, we, so we have the fade, but... You know, Unclear I, what that even I is. I thought that really, yeah. some yeah. magical thing, yeah. Um, he says his first day at the city, he couldn't believe the uproar still talking about us excitable <laughs> humans and how we just won't shut up. And he says, um, I'm afraid I was almost beginning to get a little upset. I love how he talks. That's kind of funny. I'm afraid I was almost beginning to get a little. There's like three qualifiers. <laughs> He says, I tell you, it was not for this. I left the steading, ran here, here's steading, and then figures out he's an ogre. Who's Rand's not too bright. <laughs> nope. A little slow on the update. It, it yeah. had to hear steading to figure out that this wasn't a human, but look at the guy. Like, what, what, what the hell's going on with this guy? I right? mean, he did, like, pull a sword on him, so he clearly thinks he's something. Something, something. in it. Now, intimidating. Here's the, now, here's the thing about Rand that I figured out through my internet research. Is oh, that no. he's not really well liked by the, the fan base of this Wheel of Time You're series. not supposed to be looking things Yeah, up. but like, I'm not, like <laughs> there's even a po- real dangerous. There's even a podcast called Everyone Hates Brand uh, where they <laughs> devote an entire podcast about this whole series to the fact that everybody hates this character. Um, I'm starting to get why. He doesn't seem super bright. Do you have something here? No, I just did. This is going to be my last episode on this podcast. I have a new one that I'm joining. I think Enjoy I have a lot to. Hates <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a pretty, lot to contribute. It was a pretty good, good, pretty, pretty funny name for it. I mean, it, it seems indicative of the fact that he probably doesn't have a lot. Like a lot of there, people read this and get frustrated with that character. I will tell you that there are times through the series when you could probably have a podcast about all of the main characters. That is, everyone hates. Hmm, okay. So. Brand. Everybody has times where you're just God. Except you're for Moran. Unlovable. Yeah, except for Moran. Uh, Rand introduces himself as Rand Althor. Pretty cool last name. If I was Rand, I would go with Rand Althor pretty much all the time. I think I would go with the two <laughs> names. I don't think I'd ever go with Rand. Loyal identifies Rand as Ailman, but uh, Rand denies it. He's like, I'm not Ailman. Well, pushes the point, really thinking that he is. He, he lands on this quote, which really made me laugh. An Ailman from the two rivers who insist he's not an Ailman? That's very odd. <laughs> oh my God, uh, he uh, hands Rand a book, and Rand sees it, and this, this book makes him sad. And he's like, "Why does that make you sad?" And he goes, "The girl I knew used to read this book every day. She thought she was Jane herself reincarnated. Well, that would be quite unlikely. It's just something she thought. I see. I forget how frivolous you humans can be with your thoughts." Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's if he wasn't another like he wasn't another species. He's like very spectrumy man. He's like always analyzing you. Like instead of actually engaging in the conversation, he's just sort of judging what you're saying. He's um, knowing everything. Yeah, I ask where she is, and Rand says he doesn't know. Loyal explains that the commotion in the street is because the Aes Sedai are returning from battle with the false dragon. 
who they will parade through the streets to show the consequences of madness. So I love that we get that little conversation with Loyal and Ram to see the perspective of like what the what the town folk know is gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. We did that sort of like background, like, hey, this is the consequences of this. Like they're Big gonna deal. they're gonna parade this guy through the streets here. Yep. Now I'm not sure, and that this is kind of a question to you guys. Yes, they're parading the false dragon through the streets. Does it do, I'm not sure everybody knows he's been gentled. That's a that's a thing that like I feel like might be like said, so, like their little secret. Like it's a good it. question, yeah, yeah. Because he, like we were saying earlier, he wasn't supposed to be. It's unclear if the townspeople, right, city folk, <laughs> actually know would have known that he was supposed to be being brought ungentled anyway. But and I think supporting that is, you know, in, when he's coming into Tarvalon, well, before, like when they're on the road to Tarvalon. Um, he's on a horse and he's just got like a rope mm-hmm. that's connected to his collar. Mm-hmm. And then when he's in the city, now he's in his big cage and there's mm-hmm. two eyes that I behind him. So it looks a lot more imposing mm-hmm. and a lot more like how he was when he was not gentle. Mm-hmm. So it, I think that's a really good question. That is exactly what made me think it. It's like, because they're still keeping him in the cage as if he's some sort of problem, but he's right. been gentled. He's no, he's like one of the least, least dangerous people we know now. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I think maybe they're keeping up that, that shroud a little bit. Uh, we'll get another great quote here from Loyal, who's quickly rushing up my Lee power rankings of characters. Always in such a rush, these humans never taking time to properly prepare for what they are walking into, which is very, very true of Rand. <laughs> <laughs> Rand sees Matt sitting on a ledge and goes to join him. As someone scared of heights, not a big fan of the seating arrangement. I'm not quite sure why you would ever choose just the side of a damn building it just doesn't seem reasonable because <laughs> it's a great I mean, viewing perch it's a viewing perch but we also and have that one r- leg cramp away from death <laughs> <laughs> Rand likes to be up on t- up on heights ladies. looking out he's over he's actually things. a cat yes <laughs> he, he does this on a regular basis yeah. that's the serious the courtyard for it. Rand thanks <laughs> Matt for bringing for saving him a seat Matt says they're bringing in the false dragon they saw it's a man who can channel and it drove him mad we see Loghain being brought in um, in that big cage and he seems really despondent uh, about like we left him last time uh, mm-hmm. I think we saw one shot of him on horseback earlier in the episode too and he looked similar uh, we don't really see a difference in, Lo- in Logan I think he's just out of it mm-hmm. and I would say I think that points to people that know know he be- he's been gentle mm-hmm. so I, I think that there are going to be like people that know but probably a lot of people don't yeah because I mean, if he was still being blanketed he'd be like kind of like tight right but he's not he's just yeah. laid out yeah Exactly. I'm doing a lot of visuals here for this audio medium. It's really great. People are throwing fruit, uh, yelling. One guy yelled, kill the dragon, which I, I thought was like a little bit like, he's not the dragon. You're not supposed to say that. Like, if I was not, I'd be like, you can't even get your insults right. Uh, Matt then has a vision of Loghain looking at, up, up at him and laughing maniacally, really super crazy. Um, Rand talks to him, to what you were saying, BJ, there's something that makes always makes something that makes him snap out of it. This time it's Rand's voice. And he snaps out of it and we see it's just a dream. Logan's just laying there like oh. Did anybody think that that was real? That Logan really was laughing at Matt that way? I think it was meant to be read that way or yeah. watched that way if you weren't watching really closely. I Ooh. the first Well, I wish you didn't say that last part, because I, I actually the, really No, the first part was true. <laughs> when he when he really started laughing like really crazily by the end of the vision, I was sort of like, oh like that's this a little doesn't too seem insane. right. But at the beginning, when it, when he first looked up it seems you know, reasonable. There is, re- there is a reasonable yeah. thing in this world where he might be able to kind of send. I mean, I we don't know what's going on with him with the one power gone and all of that. But like, I think I know. There, <laughs> I think it's out. 
think it's going. But there is like a, a reasonable sort of possibility that he could have been able to suss something out. Uh, yeah. I think he might have briefly left and like the maniacal and was and, and then Matt's whatever took it to like an nth degree hmm. and then he snapped out of it. Because here's why I thought he was really laughing at is because Matt is showing he has showing external signs of someone who is struggling with this. And I was thinking that maybe Loghain had those same signs in point. Mm. And maybe he looked up at him and sees the dark flesh and the everything and goes, oh, well, you're fucked. Like that sort of thing. Sucker. Yeah, I thought that's cool. Mm. Well, but see, my thought is that it's not real. Mm. Like none of it is real because Loghain, when we first see him coming in, is slumped completely to the back of the cage. Yeah. And as soon as we flash out of, of Matt's watching the he laughing, is. he's completely still slumped to the back. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. Yeah. I think you're right. So. It's just I thought he. I, I thought he was really laughing at him, and I thought there was a reason for it. Right, right. That wasn't like tapping into the power. Mm-hmm. It was just like he just sees some physical signs of it. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh man, that poor guy. Um, Matt looks down, and this is a very I think touching moment of the episode because he says, um, "Let's make a deal. If it turns out it's one of us." that you or me can channel, uh, we won't let each other become like that. Rand, Matt, Matt, no, I'm serious. I don't give a shit about these prophecies, Aes Sedai, dragons, whatever. I won't be like that. You won't. You don't know that, Matt again says, promise me. So what I liked about this scene is that it seemed to me that this was Matt finally dropping his guard with Rand a little bit and saying, this really might be happening to me. And if it is, please don't let me end up like this character because whatever's happening with him, I don't want it. Like, it doesn't look good. So what did you interpret that Matt didn't want? Because I think that there are two things mm-hmm. that happen to Loghain. Is he afraid of both? Is he afraid of just channeling, going mad? Or is he afraid of being gentled and basically having the rug taken out from underneath him and, you know, just is listless and depressed? We actually had this conversation while... Mm-hmm we were watching because I think that those are the kind that's the kind of duality that we're dealing with here. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think we know. And and I I think my, my take is that Matt is not, I wouldn't, I don't have any evidence that Matt even knows much about gentling. That conversation about gentling was with Tom and Rand. Matt wasn't involved. So it seemed to me like maybe he was just like, I don't want to be like the target of the ice to die. And like to be like paraded through the streets as some big villain, mm-hmm. and that it seemed to me to be as basic, as that, but I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think well, that's I good. think you could also ask, well, what what does Rand think he's agreeing to, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so... I laughed at that part because I was like, well, I mean, it's not. I mean, I'm burying the lead on the, the dragon power rankings, but I'm not think we're really worried about Rand channeling right now, like. <laughs> Yeah, pretty yeah. low right. down. No, no, no. But when Rand says, like, sure, like, I'll help you. Like, if, if something goes poorly, mm. I will mm. help you. Like, what is he agreeing to? Is he uh, to do so agreeing to help Sorry, him yeah. if he goes mad or if he gets captured by the Aes Sedai? Does he want to be killed gentle, first? Killed, like, what yeah. is this? I think after the conversation with Tom, I, I would lead towards not being gentled. Yeah. I think that's where Rand's brain is at. Yeah. But because... Like you said, Matt we, doesn't know. Matt wasn't in that conversation, so he doesn't know that. So I think Rand mm. and Matt have entirely different yeah. ideas about what they're agreeing to. Maybe, but I also see a world where Rand was just sort of thinking like, "Well, 
I, if he can channel, I just need to keep him away from the Aes Sedai at all costs. Like that's really what I'm promising. So yeah. he won't yeah. ever get near the Aes Sedai mm-hmm. if he can channel. And um, but then but then Matt makes they have to do the inverse promise, right? Where it's like, and if it happens to you, Rand, then I'll protect you. And that's the part that I laughed at because I was like, that doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think there's really only one scenario and we're also, worried about. Matt's looking pretty rough. I'm not sure how he could protect anyone. No, yeah, not too good. Yeah. Um, cut to Steph and being dressed in all white. This is the reason for Sarah's outfit today. Uh, apparently white is the color of mourning. And Lan walks in and asks how it was. And one of uh, Elaine, Alana, I have to say Alana, right? Mm-hmm. Alana's warder says it was all worth it to see Leandrin get hit with a radish. I really wish that hadn't been <laughs> left on the cutting room yes. floor. I would have liked to see Leandrin get hit with a mm-hmm. radish. So I guess the warders aren't super crazy about the reds. Uh, which kind of makes sense to me, right? Because... We learn that the Reds, A, don't have orders, and B, do not hide the fact that they're not big fans of men in general, period. Mm. So the fact that the warders behind the Reds' back would kind of be snickering, like, eh, can't hit with a rash, like, makes sense. Mm-hmm. There'd be that tension there probably all the time. I think we all wished we had seen that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Stefan, although there is one moment where I get a little sympathy for the Andrews, I'll talk about that. They, they give her a little, little nugget of it this episode. <laughs> Seven says he hasn't worn white since his father's funeral. I hated him, you know. After he died, I used to go out piss drunk before I even got to the bar. We've all been there. I wouldn't find the smallest, I would find the smallest, weakest guy there and beat him up. Uh, and then I would start picking on people who would fight back, half hoping they would just put a stop to me. And that's when I met Karini, um, stupid young boy with a death, with death wish, facing off against an ice that I, she just laughed and bought me a drink. So he explains, this is the origin story of him and Karini. And basically what he's saying is that, like, basically I was a drunk. I just got drunk every day, went to the bar, fought people. And it got so bad that at a certain point I was just hoping somebody would kill me. And then I met her and I found purpose. And she picked me. And that was crazy because she shouldn't have. But when she did, I had to be worthy of her picking me. And so I became a better guy, basically. And that's he's explaining his life of, like, I, this is how I grew. Like, she's, she's the one that, that forced me to become a man. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of power in the story, for sure. But PJ? I think it's super interesting that we have her giving him a purpose at sort of the decline after his father died. And then he was given another purpose after Karini died um, mm-hmm. to like carry him the on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he said, we bonded and I had to become, we bonded and I had to become worthy of her potential line of the episode right there. Land's listening to this and first time we see, I think, uh, of this whole time in this show, Land starting to get emotional, that gets carried through the episode. But this right here is the first time I saw a little break in that exterior for Land. He really started to tear up a little bit. Um, then one of the guys cuts through the tension and says, "My dad tried to kill me when I was twelve. So stop your whining." Uh, but then he softens and says, "The White Tower gave me my first real family." And they all sort of bond there, talking about how this 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 is their family. This this whole group that they have there. I think that was and, the fun one. Yes. Yeah. That was yeah. Fun one. yeah. He looks fun. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the the way they did the mirror shoots? No, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that um, throughout this scene, he's talking basically at a mirror, and we get some of the other warders around him, and then it's like a real close-up of his face, and you can't tell that it's a mirror shot unless you look closely and you see like a slight fracture of mm. his face and you know that re- reflection in this like paneled mirror mm-hmm. that i thought just was like a really cool way of framing it. yeah mm. i think especially since the conversation that they're having is very self-reflective mm-hmm. it mirrored very nicely yeah 
Stefan looks at those two guys and says, that's a great point. Uh, Something I didn't catch. Stefan says he looks at those two guys. Stefan looks at the two guys and says, at least you two guys have each other. Probably be 10 more if Alana had her way. Uh, Land says, including you, old friend, if you bond with another nice Sedai, Stefan snaps at him and says, first you lose Moraine and then you tell me how easy it is to jump from one woman to the next. I'd like to pause here and give a little credit to my man Land. I'm not sure Land was really pushing like, hey, you really should go bond right now. Like, I think he was doing that because he sensed that Stefan was lo- like slipping and losing. Yeah. And yeah. he was trying to give him purpose. He was trying to give him something to live for. And that's what he was clinging on to, this hope that he would bond with someone quickly. Because if he didn't, he didn't know yeah. what was going to happen to his buddy. Mm-hmm. I think or he kind of knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. something bad. I think it's like, there is a place for you. So don't yes. make any like immediate decisions. And Stefan took it as just like, I'm not going to hop in bed with horse. her. Or mm-hmm. like this second, like... yeah. It's fresh. For sure. Uh, I, but I did have the thought of like, I think Land probably could bond with somebody else if he lost Moraine. Like, he doesn't seem to me to be the one that like, I think he could probably do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and her name is uh, Nynaeve. Uh, that's who I am. We're getting some weird looks here. Like, I mean, like, come on, guys. The, the Nynaeve thing is, is real. Um, so then he walks down the hallway of the warders and he goes to this big cement bowl. This isn't in the books, apparently. This nope. is not in the books, okay? But it's so, a real cool scene. Like, it's it a really so cool I'm visual. Like so I, yeah, I understand this canon just as good as anybody at this table. <laughs> and he goes to the big cement bowl, and there's a flame going on inside of it. It looks like almost like a, um, what's the thing for JFK? Eternal flame, something? Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of like that, right? The thing is always burnt. You know the, yeah. the JFK grave? Yeah. The eternal flame. The etern- I think it's yeah. the eternal flame. Yeah. So a similar thing. It looks like this thing is always burning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And around it is um, like uh, like melted metal of, of the rings of right. the Aes Sedai. And it seems like sort of a, a, a tribute to all the Aes Sedai who have died. I, so I think it's that. And I am going to make a prediction um, because I get to do this because I, it's not in the books. So I can have theories just like everybody else. That's where they get the rings for new Aes Sedai. And mm-hmm. so it's like the serpent biting its tail and the wheel spinning people out. This is a... Return and renew. Awesome. Love it. Absolutely. It totally works with the wheel thing. Absolutely. Uh, and then, where are we at after that? Uh, Land walking into a room with Moraine. And she looks at him, and he gets down to one knee, and then they do a hand on hand on hand. They do a hand sandwich. And he seems a little surprised that um, she returns affection the way that she does. When he puts a hand down and she puts the hand on his... He looks down at her and then looks at the hand and then he does another hand on top of it. And it's, uh, you know, I think they're really leaving it wide enough to drive a truck truck through, right, with these two. Like, they leave it really wide with your ability to make theories about land and marine right now. It's For the viewer who doesn't know anything about the books, they... It's very unclear to me just how bonded they are, if they're super close or if they're kind of like not super close at all. But this scene to me seemed to reinforce that whatever's going on, um, they, had a, they had a pretty tender tender moment there together. So I I don't know if, if you guys noticed this, maybe I'm just like reading too much into it, but he put his hand on her ring. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a acknowledging and uh, like, looking sort of looking into his possible future where he would have to take her ring back and like he wasn't comfortable with that situation maybe maybe yeah but it, but even even in that interpretation it is it's still more reinforcement of their bond right right Absolutely. yeah yeah. Um, I, yeah yeah that they're close yeah um and i think that like 
I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that these actors have been portrayed or the little scuttlebutt around them. You're always this chatter about them being like not a good hang or like really not emotional or whatever. I, I, I have like all kinds of theories in my head about just how close Marina and mm-hmm. really are. Um, anything else on that scene? Yep. Okay. Cut to the white cloaks in their camp and they are stripping a queen. Tough scene. Tough scene. I don't like it. Don't like it. Uh, this like ASMR. This like ASMR sound that they went for here was like oh it really it well, was really it. tough it was really tough yeah I mean I think it was well shot mm-hmm. and and sort of reinforced how divorced the white cloaks are from like normal people I think this yeah. this shows that that the them as a group are fanatics it's at least the questioners are. That, that it's not just this one dude who is batshit insane and then there's some other people following him that are uncomfortable with the stuff that, that, that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think this is like they are bought in and like they are not in the same group as like everybody else that we've met. Yeah, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good point and a good yes. read on that. Um, and I just, you know, when I say that it's tough, I don't mean that the scene is bad. I, I mean that like physically, that is yes. a terrible thing to yeah. be doing. I, and they and they portrayed that really well yeah. too, the really like grittiness of what is being done to her. But yeah. really fascinating to me that she had to be like completely scrubbed and and how like how harsh it was, but also like the depths that they went into. They cleaned her fingernails. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then to even like go meet with our questioner mm-hmm. in the first place, like that's, that's interesting. So that's I really interesting. also think it's cultish. really interesting. Yeah, it is very cultish. Yeah. Well, um, called spade a spade. Pretty much. But I think it's also very interesting that we did not see the yellow that he had captured at the very beginning. Yes. Not undergo the same treatment, yes. clearly, because mm-hmm. she's still in her yellow garb. Mm-hmm. Um, and she so, was very dirty too. Like, yeah. I, yeah. So I think it's sort of something like. He's bringing or having this woman brought to him in the light and clothed in in white and completely stripped clean because mm-hmm. he's like maybe she can be someone that you know is is clean and fresh and and a child of the light instead of an Aes Sedai which he thinks she probably is. Yeah, it was pretty clear mm-hmm. to me that if you're an Aes Sedai, you know, you just you just die like it's right. just a, yeah with her. He's was, not sure. He wasn't sure, right. and right. so she got clean so that she could be in his presence and he could question her, et cetera, et cetera. He also and, didn't talk to the yellow. He talked at her. Like, mm-hmm. there was no conversation going on between yeah. them. There was a, like, villain soliloquy that we got from him as opposed to, like, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of several moments throughout this episode that we get, Lee, to your point um, from a couple of episodes ago, the children of the light got to tread real carefully on this PR campaign that they're that they're on. We got it with the comment about the tinkers. Well, they won't they won't kill the Tuathanon. Like they'll just rough them up a little bit because that would be bad press, right? Right. Um, and then we get the hint of it here as well with like, well, just in case, I gotta do my due diligence. Here. Right. Yeah. Um, then he says, "Open your eyes, child." They place a queen in a chair and bind her hands. Very important. You notice what the guy was eating? Roast pig. Yeah. Roast pig fetus. That thing was like maybe three days old. That was a teeny little pig. Like, I mean, that was a very baby pig to be eating. And we already saw that he will deep fry a bird. Like, 
we're seeing this guy eat like things that are just like abnormal and very big villain vibes mm-hmm. to be yep. eating like yeah. super mm-hmm. super baby pig mm-hmm. and like cutting pieces off of like its back mm-hmm. which i think leads into the mm-hmm. scene that we're going to yeah. get to but not only that he's uh eating with his knife mm-hmm. and he's actually eating which as not not like uh this isn't something like in world that i think is interesting i think it's something interesting just like as a shooting perspective like he's putting stuff in his mouth and mm-hmm. which is yeah and chewing which is kind of like a a crazy thing for an actor to be doing i wonder set. um yeah that's that is interesting i know i don't know how actors in like dramas and fictional things do but i've listened to a lot of podcasts with like food professionals who have to go on tv who had to learn the hard way that like they provide you a bucket next to you for a reason so that you yes. can spit between takes yeah and not have eaten four meals by the time you're yeah. done with everything. Yeah, the guy who played Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones was eating pork sausage. He was actually mm. eating sausage. And he, like, <laughs> they, they talk about it. Like, he had yeah, like three or four during the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he do that that night? Yeah, the fact that, that like, I was uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, maybe not everybody noticed it, but when I saw like just how little that pig was, it was I'm like, little. oh yeah. God, like he's choosing to eat like, you know, a couple day old pig. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to give a shout out to another podcast that we did, um, which we review movies where we watched Ravenous, but like they make... It's called Mangum Watches. Mangum Watches, yes. Um, Where where we watched Ravenous. um, And I feel like they're doing kind of a similar thing where like actually seeing at least this one child of the light eating is not only super gross, but it's also creepy and like doom impending. Mm -hmm. And like not quite the same vibes, but like kind of the same headspace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think he was going to start, you know, eating off of Perrin's back, but (laughs) they bring Perrin in and they tie him down. We're going to need more rope. (laughs) We're going to need more rope guys. We don't know it yet. A lot of rope with this character. Going to need a lot. Call me child Valda. Uh, Can somebody talk about the child thing? Uh, Explain it to anybody. Is this a book thing? Uh, Yeah, it's a book thing. And it's just, so the, the children of the light are the White Cloaks. Um, white Cloak is sort of a derisive name for them. Kind um, of like the Tinkers in Tuathan. Yeah. Like, tinkers they call them more derisive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is nice. Right. Right. And so the, the... The children of the light then call each of themselves individually a child. Got it. So child Valda. Child mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. Yep. The authority is in the light, not me. Nah, I'm doing a hard head shake here. I think this guy's a power complex. I, I think he is choosing very much. It's E.T. all the time. Uh, and I think probably the White Cloaks that are around with him, if they heard that, they'd have been like, eh, I don't know about that. This guy <laughs> pretty much tells us what to do all the time. Egwene like, tries to explain that she's not who he thinks he is. He agrees. He says, well, you can't be nice to die. He would have tried to trap Channel already. He probably would have tried to destroy this whole place. Um, and I would have taken your hands already. A lot of confidence. A little too high. A little too high with this guy. Uh, he says, you know, one of those witches once told me that you don't actually need your hands to channel. That the use of any motion or words is just a crutch. Um, I feel like I heard this either on a pod with you guys or you were talking. So we yeah. talked mm-hmm. about it. So that when the White Cokes had previously cut off the yellow Aes Sedai's hands, we talked about how, oh, interesting, is this a change for the TV show that they require their hands to channel? Yeah, and this is kind of like pulling back from that. Saying, well, not right. no, but it's not really. I mean, like, I guess that that woman just needed the crutch or something to do it, I guess, or whatever. Because mm-hmm. uh, if, if this what this guy is saying is true, 
then they don't need their hands to channel. It's just easier to use their hands to channel. It's a crutch, right? That's yep. why I explained it's it. a learned behavior, you could say. Right. And so with the the woman in the, the yellow that we saw who was getting burned, her hands were cut off. I guess she's just not able to do it without the crutch. So, uh, I mean, I would liken it to, uh, you know, choose any sport and anybody doing any ritual around it. Um, I, you know, I know you play golf. I imagine that there are things that you do when you set up your swing that you do every time. Do you need to do it? No, but like that's how you. But that doesn't play. hold because if if it, if because the lady in yellow clearly couldn't once her hand like she wasn't doing anything like so it, it it seems to the message to the viewer is that when her hands were taken she couldn't use it anymore. Right, mm-hmm. right. but I, I guess what I'm likening it to is like there are people in sports that if they don't go through their ritual like they at least can't literally play as well. Like maybe okay. not literally can't do it, but like closer to. So you know. I have a feeling that they might return a little bit more to explain about the yellow situation, but we'll, we'll oh, say. Yeah. Okay. says, I can't channel. He says, well, we proved it then. Yes, I said, I certainly cannot lie as much as they're able to twist the truth. And my question to panel is, if that's the case, then how come every time they meet a woman that they think might be a nice to die, why doesn't he just ask one question? Can you channel? Like, why did he go through that whole thing with Moran? Why didn't he just ask her, can you channel? Yes or no? If she can't, if she can't lie, like... I don't know. Like he asked the very simple question to Aguin and or Aguin, I guess, offered it. He didn't really ask mm-hmm. him. He offered it, and he was kind of like, "Well, that's the very yeah, that's the end all be all. That should be like the bullet, the silver bullet question all the time." I think what I think we talked a little bit about this in their first meeting, um, and, and an episode or two ago. But I think that if he asked that, like that escalates the interaction. And they don't want to do that because they know that they're going to be overpowered every single time. They know that if they try and take an ace and die head on, they're going to lose. So once that's out in the open, either they back away or they they confront the ace and die like with weaponry or something like that. And she knows that her life is in danger. It doesn't really hold, right? Because, I mean, it's, it was clear that Moraine knew what they, the danger of interacting with them, knew what they were after knew what they were trying to figure out from her. So like if that, if the worry from the, 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 the white cloaks is that, well, they might know our intent is harm. So I can't ask that question. Well, she knew. I mean, Moraine knew. Not, not the intent, but like, that's what I'm saying. Cause it's an escalation. Like, because if, Cishan, if she says yes, what do they do? Uh, I mean, I guess they start cut her hands off. I don't know. I mean, right, but, but how the, do you do that before she channels and burns you to crisp? And before, like they have to draw weapons. They like that. Then they have to keep escalating if they want to do what they're trying to do. So if the, if if what you're saying is all canon, then what he was doing with Moraine was a little bit of a song and dance. It was a little bit of a weird sort of posturing on both sides, where he might have known she's a nice to die, but he probably wasn't necessarily in a position to call her on it. That would be my yeah. guess. Okay, interesting. Um, so he says, so let's say you're not an Aes Sedai and this boy is not your warder. The light must have brought you before me for a reason. The light always has a re- zealot, zealot vibes, hard zealot vibes from the sky. Aguin tells him, um, I'm just a girl from a mountain town that should never have left. That is true. <laughs> that is definitely true. Um, he puts a blade to her throat and says, uh, you channel to channel. And she says, no. And he points out that his oath says he won't hurt the innocent. He points out he doesn't keep his oaths, so yeah, um, he uh, he may bleed her out right there. She says, "If you're going to do it, do it, but know this: I'll come back in my next life and split you from head to tail like the pig you are." Um, seems like a hollow sort of thing. It just seems like 
what we were getting from her is that she does have some inner rage. Like if you push her far enough, she will explode. She's got dynamic in her basically. Mm-hmm. If you push her to a mm-hmm. certain point, and that's yeah. kind of what that was. Um, he says, "Well, you'd have made a great ice today. A wonderful ring to add to my collection." He takes a knife out. Sanitize. He looks like he sanitizes. Yeah, it he wine. pours wine on it. I thought that was so interesting. I think it's a ritualistic. I think it might be that, but also could be just so it hurts a bit more. Like, you know, kind of like salting the knife. You know, that amount of alcohol, alcohol it's just going to hurt a little bit more. I also, you know, I don't don't know. I mean, it is a sort of like... I thought he was cleaning it. I thought he was sanitizing it. That was was my read because I also, like, it's a... In my read, it's a control thing that, Mm -hmm. like... He wants the knife, A, to work specifically in the way that he wants to, but he also, like, if Perrin is going to bleed out or going to die at some point, like, he's going to die the way he intends him to, not... I think it's a really good point. Like, I I, I don't think that he is interested in... uh, Also, yeah. yeah, but also the idea, too, we've been talking a lot about his eating and the control and precision with which he eats, like... I don't think he wants cross-contamination just like in those areas of his life either. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of, he gives, he's so contained and precise that I think there are, the the control issue is. He would be a big hand sanitizer in today's world. I was going to say maybe a little Bateman vibes. Um, But, but yeah, I like, I like the ritual aspect of it because I mean, he probably knows about how long infections take and has already kind of decided that one of them's going to die. And I think he's leaning towards Perrin, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually, I'm not remembering this. It, the knife that he uses, is that the same one that he's eating with? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, those mouth bacteria, they're not going away with a little dip with the wine. Right. But I mean, <laughs> you know, in this in this sort of like medieval type yeah. world, yeah. They, they usually do the best yeah. they can, right? Um, yeah. This was about the time that I stopped and actually used our, our Mangum Talks Twitter account again to reiterate my dislike for the White Cloaks. <laughs> I tweeted yet again that they deserve, I think at this time I said they deserve a good ass kicking, which, <laughs> shout out to me <laughs> for calling that one. Um, so he rips open Perrin's back, or shirt, and then starts ripping open his back with the knife, um, cutting at it. Uh, doesn't look like deep cuts. Just yep. does not like he's, like, mm-hmm. doesn't look like he's cutting the kill right here. I was gonna say I think this might be one scene where where uh, Sarah and I were on similar wavelengths. Um, I was, I was, immediately I was like, well, there's no way he's just ripping open that shirt unless there's like a significant tear already. <laughs> I mean, like you, you can you can get fabric to come apart, but not not, not like, just that. like that. Not like that. No. As any good it's wrestling silly. fan knows, uh, when I was a kid, I used to try to do the Hulk Hogan. Uh, and you're right. It's not easy to break a shirt. I got embarrassed many times in front of my friends being like, watch this. Hold on. Give me a second. And then you just had stretched out necklines. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. actually happened to Roy Williams, our basketball coach. One time he took his, he took his ja- jacket off. He was so angry. And he was going to try to rip it to show his players how angry he was. He couldn't rip it. Just, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It looked terrible. Uh, Aguin asks, why are you doing this? And he says, because this, now this is probably, um, the, you, what's your segment? I always lose the segment names. The one about the- Gleeman's Corner. Yeah. That, this might be mine for that. Because okay. this, I feel like, tells us more than possibly any other line does in the episode. We're getting, in this episode, I feel like we're getting a lot of things reinforced that we already knew. Mm-hmm. This feels new to me. And it's an explanation of why the hell these bike cloaks don't like the ice to die. Because that's always confusing to me. Yeah. Because we humans are meant to be of this earth, to struggle and fight for everything we have. The creator never meant for us to have access to so much power. You witches make a mockery of our very existence, walking like gods amongst men. 
The idea that the one power comes from anywhere but the dark is absurd. So I have been called to stamp it out, woman by woman by woman. So I assumed that the white cloaks, there was a lot of misogyny going on, that they just didn't want women to be powerful. That's what I thought it was. There's probably still some of that in here. I, I don't think that's or it's gone. Yeah. To be that way. I certainly don't think that's gone, mm-hmm. right? But I also think that like part of this is is them thinking that any bit of this sort of like power has to be evil. They 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 don't they don't see like Jedi and Sith, right? They're just seeing Sith. Like it's all dark to mm-hmm. them. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing to learn about folks. Yep. And yeah. Then, I was gonna say like I don't disagree. Like if we we go a little bit further with with the Star Wars uh, reference, you know, if you're just some dude in the middle of nowhere and you get caught up in the war with force being thrown around and everything else it's just like i don't want any part of this like this is just destroying and ravaging basically everywhere they touch what does it matter like which side of you know that power that they're on okay so you think that 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 might, might be a little bit of lip service that they might understand there's a little bit of a difference between the dark ones and uh dark friends dark one and um and the eyes that I but they don't really care. I'm saying that, like, I th- so I think one of the reasons that they might have also been going after Logan is that all channeling is bad. They're specifically targeting, you know, what's out there. And so, you know, any sort of extra power in the world is bad. And, you know, they probably do also have a little bit of uh, nod to the Dark One, uh, just in general. And this is how they're uh, justifying their focus and hatred toward the Aes Sedai, that, that the power is from the Dark One. Sarah, do you have something? No, I, but I do I do think, BJ, that your point about, um, about the Force and kind of taking it from the perspective of just the everyman on the ground is, is really interesting, too, because what the White Cloaks feel to me like, I don't know if we get like a history of the White Cloaks at some point or anything like that, but what it feels like is a bunch of normal people who said, what is this shit? And then decided to codify the idea that the power is bad. I'm reminded mm-hmm. of the in the in the Mandalorian uh, Moff Gideon's reaction to seeing Luke. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> uh, he um, he looked petrified, but not not because like they, they they were very clear in their explanation of that look from Moff Gideon, and it was just just the idea of force users in mm-hmm. the universe to the everyman is fucking terrifying mm-hmm. because of just this of you know it's witchcraft basically and, yeah. and that's kind of where where we're where we're at here is yeah. that um and i and honestly like these white cloaks i mean i hate them so bad i revive twitter accounts to talk about <laughs> <laughs> but this kind of does make sense in canon that there would be because when he said this i was like you know if i was just some like villager i might actually like buy into this shit yeah right like, you know it's probably a good idea to just get rid of all this nonsense like well, that makes sense to me and especially if you're a have not you're yeah. gonna be like whoa 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 why why do they get the power that's not you, fair. And then you can compound it with, oh, and it's women that primarily have it. Oh, hey, dude, don't you like that? It's like, well, hell no, of course I don't like that. You know, so you can compound it with the misogyny mm-hmm. too. So it, it does make some sense here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad that we get a little bit of a um, an explanation of where these folks are coming from. Because now I, I feel a little bit more invested in that arc. Um, so he then tells her to channel. And if she does, he'll kill her. My parent go. If she doesn't channel, well, I'll kill parent and I'll let you go. And leaves them to discuss. Cut to Nine Eve. She gets a knock at the door, opens it, and it's Steppen. Heard you've been locked up in here, too. I wonder if I could get a little bit more of that tea. So she's just slinging out of this. Uh, <laughs> she's a drug dealer. She's just slinging. Um, 
She said, he, he says, got that herb that he wants. He says, it's not really tongue's goat, is it? And she just kind of laughs and she's like, you dummy. Tongue's goat is a herb. That's not a real tongue's goat. Tongue. goat. Goat's tongue. Yeah, tongue's goat. Goat's tongue. Uh, it's not really a goat's tongue. It's a, it's a herb. Anyway, he explains that to her. Um, he, she asks him if he has troubles. This is a really sad back and forth here. He asks her if she has troubles. She's like, do you have trouble sleeping? And he's like, um, I do. Because right as I'm about to drift off, uh, pain goes away. And she's like, good. And he says, no, that's the only thing I have left of her. I'm not ready to let go of it. And I think anybody who's dealt with, um, who's dealt with like loss really can identify with that. Like you mm-hmm. don't like, you feel like almost like when the pain starts going away, you feel almost like you've, you're, you're being disloyal to the person you mm-hmm. lost or something yeah. in, in letting the pain go away. And that's a totally identifiable. Um, and she tells him, don't worry, the pain will never go away. He says, thank you. And he leaves. Um, yeah, she seems pretty anguished for him. And then we cut back away to walking in the hall of the warder. That's what she's doing. Uh, at the hall of the warder. Is that a fair mm-hmm. thing to call it? Okay. And then in comes everybody's favorite. I said, I Leandrin. Uh, she says, they're almost as old as the tower itself. Representing the tens of thousands of men who protected the sisters. Standing guard in the hall and death as they did in life. It almost makes it sound like she likes these guys. She's, she's almost faking it. Uh, Nynaeve calls her out. Says, yeah, but the reds don't have orders. Because they hate men. And she's like, is that a question or a statement? <laughs> and she explains that women hold the power, but men still control much of the world. And they aren't very kind to little girls who show a spark of being greater than what they are. And I'll tell you, that's a moment where I was like, mm, I think I'm starting to get to reds now. Yeah. I get that because I bet that's true. I bet there's a lot of instances in this world of little girls starting to channel and men being very frustrated with their power, beating the hell out of them. I think those yep. might have also been specific to Leandra. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. sure. yeah. But I mean, I, I think it, so you feel, you feel some sympathy for her, but I think it's also yeah. like understanding that like the, it's still even, because not every woman can channel, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so for the women who can't channel, I'm sure that it's still a male dominated society, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's what she's looking and at. And we also know that there haven't been a lot of people out to the two rivers and that's not even that far away from Tarvalon. And Tarvalon is very definitely like an ivory tower. I mean, I I feel like, you know, they they couldn't have gone further with that symbolism. And so I think that it's a very clear, like their uh, influence is, is only so far and, you know, it extends as far as they can, but that's definitely not covering the world as we know. She then points out, she says, well, why are you here? Might as well have fun. She points out where the library is, points out what the gardens are. And then she says, the persimmons mins are in season. Uh, never heard someone mispronounce persimmons as badly as this actress does. What does she say? Does anybody know what she said? Persimmons? Persimmons, yeah. Persimmons? Yeah. I think she even adds another just, syllable oh. at the end of that. It was terrible. <laughs> I, like, I noticed it and Brie was just like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, all right. She butchers the word persimmons. Um... Cuts around and Loyal coming in, and he's got Nynaeve. Look at that. Loyal, <laughs> good friend to have. I like this guy. Uh, and in she comes, and she's immediately concerned with Matt, as she should be. I mean, this is her patient. As as Loyal in the background explains the significance of the braid. Yes, and so he, he said, well, like, and this is the woman that you were looking for, and clearly it's the woman that you were looking for because she's from the two she's rivers and, and has a braid. The braid is very significant. <laughs> Just and completely it was great. monologuing in the background. And it's the wrong girl. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, and, and it's just so on point. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but she comes in and um, she's looking looking at Matt and not feeling good about where Matt's at. I mean, but that kind of makes sense, right? Because in that village, she's the kind of the doctor. 
Yeah. And she's looking at yeah. her patient like, oh shit, this is uh, this is bad. And she wants to take a look at his tongue and he does not want her to do that. Not cuts, at all. Cuts that right off. <laughs> but he stops after he says no and he, he does kind of go back into himself a little bit. And Nynaeve says, well, you you, know, you just need to get, you just need to get some sleep. Um, I'm here to say, it looks like he's been doing nothing but sleeping and uh, it doesn't seem to help. So I'm not sure sleep is the answer here. I think that was her, I gotta go regroup. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so outside, cut to Rand and Nynaeve outside the room and he tells her, you know what? I think Matt can channel. He's starting to break down. He's starting to believe what Tom Marilyn told him. I think Matt can channel. He says, I haven't seen it, but he's losing himself. And Rand is hesitant to come to the ice to die because look what they did to the false dragon. So that conversation with Matt is, is very much in his brain. Mm-hmm. About, uh, I don't want to tell the ice that I that he can channel because God knows what they'll do to him, which is yeah. a fair fucking concern. Mm-hmm. The conversation with Tom. Yeah. I guess what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I was also thinking about the, the on the balcony. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, something. both of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Nynaeve tells him, uh, "Well, we don't need the ice to die. We're gonna sort this all out, me and you, a couple two rivers folks up here in the we big city. This. We're gonna figure this out. Wait till Aguina and Perrin get here. Four of us, man. We got this." It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> really, really don't. But whatever. Nynaeve reassures Rand that Aguina is alive. I guess she, I guess she can feel her or something. She, she's, or she's just oh, being she's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> seems pretty confident. Naive then I mean, that is naive to a T, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, she kind of leads with her chin in that one. Um, Naive tells a story about Aguine when she was young. Uh, a pretty tough story about she had something called breakbone fever. Mm-hmm. And the old wisdom basically gave up. Just gave her tea and was like, well, basically like, let's just give her a heroin drip and uh, she'll be out of here before the end of the night. Let's put her in hospice. And Aguine apparently fought it off. And the next morning, the fever had broken. Not her. Potential line of the episode. Aguine is many things, but above all else, she's unbreakable. Cut back to the tent. Great smash cut. Mm-hmm. Is that a little too on the nose for you, BJ? I mean, it was fine. It was a little on the nose, but like you got to do it sometimes. I'm going to do heat checks on you. Because I feel like it's the show doing a heat check to see how far <laughs> they can pull you along. And, and, and I want to see how far until people who are really into the story are like, damn it, that's too much. Like, don't like, leave, really? me, to, don't so, leave me to yeah. water every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so it's interesting. And I won't talk about it too much because it, it would be book spoilers. But this is fairly heavily pulled from the books mm-hmm. and so that's where you're probably getting a whole lot of people like trying to figure out where they're going so the smash cut isn't as uh cutting as it might otherwise be because of that cutting <laughs> cut back to the tent and it looks like Aguine is trying to get out of the straps she's pulling she sees a dagger that's important there's a dagger on the table and Perrin or a knife or whatever Perrin says that look it's got to be one of us it should be me and this is the scene we've been waiting for for five episodes now. Uh, he comes clean and he explains, look, I uh, I actually killed my wife. Like, really? Like, I did for real. Like, this wasn't like, I'm not like speaking in metaphor here. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little while for Aguin to understand what he's trying to say. He says, look, we were fighting him off. She came up behind me. I hit her. I killed her with my hand. I did it. And Aguin should maybe be a leader at some point because she doesn't even have a second of feeling anything other than sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was sympathy mm-hmm. the whole way down, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like basically wanting to tell him, like, do you still need to give yourself a break? Um, and then um, Aguin then sits back uh, and tells him uh, it was an accident, parent. It's not your... Well, the first off, the question that comes in is this... You guys come to a decision and they say nothing. And he says, okay, no decision, some decision. He goes over to Perrin. He's going to cut some more. And the green says, looking at Perrin, ignoring the questioner, it was an accident, not your fault. 
might take your whole life to realize this, but you will, I promise. And I think in that, saying your whole life, she's saying, you're going to have a life because mm-hmm. I'm about to do this. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. She then sits back, questioner goes, ah, ha, ha, there you are. I'm like, gotcha. And parents says, no, Aglene, no. And what? Smash cut yellow eyes on Perrin. Didn't see that coming. Absolute shocker. Up until now in the Dragon Power Rankings, Perrin has been floor. He's at the very bottom of the Dragon Power Rankings. The yellow eyes threw me for a loop. That was a real surprise for me in this episode. Uh, anything you want to talk about here? I thought it was real well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah, the, this was something this, that, that I think scene. the rest of us have been waiting for for a bit. Mm-hmm. Also with him pouring out his emotions, but the yellow yeah. eyes is a thing. She then starts to drift. And Perrin is uh, is is panicking a bit. Then we see Aguine, and she does start to channel, and she flicks a small fireball. It's what she could muster. Uh, it's not much. A little, little fireball from her hand. And he just dusts off the shoulders. You'll find me harder to kill than that girl, especially with a flame so small. In truth, I was expecting more, so he's just a jerk all the way around. <laughs> Perrin sees that, well, she channeled, and that means he's going to go slit her throat now, and it's game time. And so he breaks out of the chains, like I mentioned before, you're going to need more rope for this character, eyes beat yellow and this <laughs> shocks like just bright i guess bright yellow not yellow, bright yellow and this shocks the questioner yeah like the question is like what the fuck so here's my question for you guys is this this kind of surprised me so obviously the questioner knows that some men can they were mm-hmm. they were they're going after the false dragon he looks like it completely shakes his faith mm-hmm. that he can see Perrin with these yellow eyes why is it such a surprise to him well, I think he already knew what color his eyes were. One. Two, I want to point out and... Oh, no, no. What do you mean by that? Was that a joke or something? No. I mean, like, I think that yellow eyes is a bit of a surprise. And if you're, con- like, confronted with a big dude looming above you, like, staring into your yellow. eyes, that it's just like, what is going on? Right, but he said, like, my, like my God or something. He was. He seemed like his faith was shaken. And that's the point that I'm asking I mean, about. he's also very... Valda is very used to being in control and until this point, he was very in control, and now he's very not, and that also I think really shook him. I think what does it's he say also the light protect me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also worth just noting that, um, and I'm trying. I, I don't mean this. It's not a spoiler at all. It's just like in the in the um, in the scene. It's worth noting that like we're dealing with a guy whose job it is to be able to to know all of the signs of an Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. Right, or and, someone who can channel. Yeah, or someone who can channel. Yes, someone who is in touch with the one power in some way. For him to, it's it's interesting that he seems to have never seen the yellow eyes before. Right. Yeah. And so, what does like he, that mean that this is just something new or something that he's never seen before? I don't know, but he seems to know a heck of a lot about Aes Sedai and how to find them and sort of root them out. I, maybe I misread the questioner's response, right? But I thought when he saw Perrin with the yellow eyes, it A, shocked him, mm-hmm. but B, like, shook, like, his understanding of how this whole thing works. Like, it wasn't just like, yeah, a, oh, yeah. shit, I need to yeah. get out of the way of this big guy. Yeah. It was, I can't, like, I can't fathom this is happening. Right. And I think that's what I was trying to get at with, like, he knew what, what Perrin looked like. And then all of a sudden, this dude is towering over him, yellow eyes, and it's just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I want to mention, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, Perrin didn't just like muscle apart the rope. There was a whisper of power and a crumbling of the rope that looked yeah, like there was a that. flame. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, like 
I guess maybe I, I should have explained my thinking on this, right? I thought it maybe I thought it was obvious, maybe it wasn't. I mean, I'm immediately equating the yellow eyes to channeling. Like he was he was in touch with the one power okay. in this yeah. moment. Like but that seemed to me pretty clear. What I love about this scene though is that it harkens back to a different Perrin Egwene scene from earlier where she was channeling because we do get a scene of her looking at his ropes while they are breaking, while mm-hmm. the um the power is kind of circling around them. She's still looking at the ropes and it goes back to me to the scene of them lighting the fire. Was yeah. that you or me? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Because my read on that was actually that Egwene had sent the fireball as a distraction to channel towards the ropes while our boy was trying to hulk out. Yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. While um, Child Balder was <laughs> okay. so you think it, was monologuing. But you think Egwene sent the thing? To, to I think it's unclear. Off? I think it's possible it because she her ropes are gone too in the middle of this scene. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. I, I thought it was him. I thought. I, thought I don't him. think we're meant to know specifically. Huh. Okay. Well, um, Egwene then stabs Question. Uh, not. I'm not sure if he's dead or not. I mean, she just got I'm him clear. kind of on the yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Um, would have I just you know not to nitpick on our girl Egwene might have been the moment to take another stab. Like, let's just make sure that <laughs> yeah. double tap, if let's, you will. Let's <laughs> finish that character off. She even like to go. Nynaeve did that random dude in the fight. Yeah. yeah. She, she kills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She if she stabs mm-hmm. you, you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then they go outside and. I'm going to take a victory lap, just run around here, called it, called it, called it about the wolves. The wolves are their friends. What is happening? Well, it looks like the wolves in that moment have descended upon the camp to attack the White Cloaks. Mm -hmm. And like, the White Cloaks are losing. Oh, yeah. The wolves are killing them. Like, it's not even close. I don't even see one wolf in a, a hint of trouble. Like, all of them seem to be in control and completely dominating. That's a little bit of surprise. Of course. But, I mean, you would think one person could... No, uh uh-uh. The wolves are dominating. Um, They go... uh, Parent and Gwen are running away, and one wolf is standing there, gnashing, baring teeth, and Gwen is obviously a little concerned, and he says, it won't hurt us. And uh, she says, how do you know? He doesn't answer, but the wolf doesn't. just goes right on and keeps attacking well, we know that he had an interaction with a wolf in a previous episode where it actually came up and, and licked his leg, and it mm-hmm. seemed like he had a little bit of a connection there. So, in one of my um, my one of my predictions in the one of the earlier episodes, I said that the wolves, while everyone talks about them as being like kind of a problem or dangerous or whatever, were actually going to be beneficial to our characters, and it looks yep. like they are. Mm-hmm. The wolves aren't a problem. Wolves are not a problem. Cut back to Leandrin and Moraine. Leandrin needles Moraine a little bit about where Leandrin is. Um, I know about um, a Marine about where Nynaeve is yep. and she strokes her hair you know the trouble with always coming and going Marine when Nynaeve becomes a novice and she will you won't be there to guide her Marine snaps you think she'll choose red a wisdom from the two rivers after her first channeling is to heal the dying is pretty funny like, <laughs> like really we got like six different things here that tell me she's not going to be red and Marine's or um uh, Marine basically tells you you should look for converts elsewhere, but that's not before Leandrin basically explains like, yeah, despite all that, we're still going to go after her, really. Like, we're, we're going to go after her. And we get a little bit of information there about a different um, Aja. Uh, yeah. So, so when she asked, or, you know, Maureen is like, well, she healed all those people. I think the Yellow Sisters are going to be pretty interested. So now we have a link of the Yellow Sisters are likely associated with healing. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, cut to Stefan the land. Stefan is making offers. Um, uh, some sort of like 
burning thing over a candle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not or the spirit or something. Who are you trying to keep away? Aishamel? Aishamel? Aishamel, yeah. Aishamel. Mm. Okay. The father of lies. This is clearly lore in this world. Yep, yep. it's lore. Yep. And uh, he says, I need to see clearly now. I need to see the truth. Um, step in and ask Lan if he thinks they can still touch our world. Lan, the Forsaken sold their souls to the Dark One for eternal life, even if the last dragon sealed them away. Lan says, enough of this. Um, I'll stay with you till the morning. I don't know. Like, as a casual, this doesn't make a lot of sense, um, what they're talking about here. Uh, I'm not sure you're meant to. I think that they're they're tossing some seeds down that hopefully they, they want you to remember. I think... They'll germinate. Yeah, there, there are a handful that we've gotten in this episode, and this was a... We're putting more things in the world to come together. Okay. But I think the, the thing that's important for the immediacy of the episode is that Lan says, I'll stay with you through the night. Yeah, yeah. So this is yet again Lan recognizing, like, uh, my buddy is really in a bad way here. I'm going to stick with him. Mm-hmm. Cut to Moraine and Alana. Moraine is asking Alana if Stepin will accept her offer. So apparently, uh, Alana, shout out. She's like, you could just join my harem here of men and come right along. And um, he, she wants him to bond, but, you know, apparently uh, she's acutely aware that he may not accept that offer, that he may not be able to. She says, yeah. uh, she talks about the, how the, uh, the pain is so deep when a warder loses a nice eye. Moraine says this, I want to really focus on this line heavily. I read once there's a way to release the bond. Alana looks at her, beat, beat, thinks, thinks. She knows her friend. Now their sister. Don't do that. Lan has nothing to worry about. You'll be here with us a long time yet. Ah! I got a theory about this in theory time. That's right. Um, Moraine doesn't seem so sure. Uh, Moraine seems to me like someone who is very aware that the way she lives her life is super dangerous. Mm-hmm. And she may not be around all the time. And she seems to be very comfortable with that. At least not... At least cognizant of it maybe not comfortable but mm-hmm. cognizant of it alana asks her what she's been doing out there all those years marine then asks, look you're not just here to eat apple the hell are you doing on my bed alana <laughs> says the hammerlin is returning and has summoned them to the hall to answer for Logan. so if you're just joining us here on as the wheel of time turns for the first time Amerlin we talked about last episode yep. and what we sussed out is that this is a seat of power Amerlin seat a seat of power for the Aes Sedai and it's one person Mm-hmm. So the power is vested in one person. And the way they talk about it, it doesn't seem like it's a unanimous choice. It doesn't seem like this person is like, all hail the Amerlin. Like there's like different thoughts about the Amerlin. People have their own opinions about this person and how they're choosing to rule, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. it is clear that the Amerlin does have significant power within yep. the structure of the Aes Sedai. Hmm. There we go. So I do want to point out she's eating a persimmon and Okay. She a persimmon. Exactly. One of those. <laughs> They're in season now. Um, and Alana says that, um, yeah, the, the Amelin wants him to answer for Loghain. Uh, apparently she's out for blood. Moraine says the Amelin has never turned on a sister without cause. And Alana sort of like, look, you've, uh, you've not been here a long time, uh, for a long time. Uh, she's been getting more powerful and things are kind of changing, basically. And a lot of people are following her, and not just the Reds. So that makes... Oh, should I say everything? No, I'm doing that. That was for Leandrin. Yeah, she was talking about yeah. Leandrin specifically. Yeah, there. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but my question is... Yeah, not, not just the Reds. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was saying 
a lot of people are following Leandrin. Yes, right. Yeah, so there's like, like an alternate faction coming yeah. up within the White Tower. So there are two women of power that you need to be. Careful. Yeah, I know yeah. that line, and I, I, knew, I did recognize that that was Leandrin. I yeah. thought, yeah, I don't know. I thought this. I thought from this that we were meant to believe that the Amarlin was a red. Oh, okay. Mm, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, about, about a thousand folks. Persimmon, <laughs> 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 Amarlin. <laughs> sure. Uh, Alana, one day you'll have to trust someone with your secrets or they'll scour you from the insides out and leave you bare as this room. So a uh, little, th- little just life lessons with Lee here. I figure we could just take a pause and do that. Uh, this is true in real life. Uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let your secrets out. You can't just let them sit in that they will fester and they will hurt you in real life. This is a real thing that people work on in therapy for years and years and years and learn. You gotta let your secrets out or they will hurt you. I think that's a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of power in that line. I liked it a lot. And as we learned earlier in the episode, the act of scouring is really, really painful. So yes. roll on closet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... So I was giving BJ a real hard look during that moment. Yeah. Because he likes bare walls in his rooms. I've been yeah, on so many a Skype call with yeah, BJ yeah. with a, a bare walled yeah. background. So one of the things that Alana mentioned that like she's not that she has very Spartan rooms and and I sent out Nothing a, on a, the walls. a group text that you know I approve of Moraine's decorating choices. Um, so well, it makes sense for her because she's living like a college student, where she's going back to her out she's into the not world. Even living like yeah. a college student, she's living like a like that's a hotel. Yes, like yeah, like, that's a yeah, hotel or yeah. Something. But BJ, you you live here. <laughs> you live Which in places. Why all of the pictures have been hung by me. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put some shit on the wall, BJ. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a life lesson here. Um, so the other thing that I, I thought was really interesting that. Um, so Alana asked Moraine a question. Moraine deflects. Mm-hmm. And I think Alana's circling back that says, like, I get that you didn't say anything. Like, you didn't get one o- like over on me just so you know. Like, it's fine, but be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely what she's saying, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, what I, as, speaking for the casual here, I think Alana's clearly an ally of Moraine. Mm-hmm. However, she's very aware of how things are working. And, uh, you know, she thinks that Moraine's putting herself in a very difficult position. A lot of politics going on. A lot of danger with this stuff. Uh, Alana leaves and then Moraine then like opens like a, like a, like a something, like a hatch or something on this thing she's got. I don't even know the words for it. It's just like a metal door to Mm -hmm. like a thing that she's got. And she opens it. There appears to be like a painting inside of it. And then Mm -hmm. she looks at it. It's almost like a locket. Mm -hmm. But like a big one. Yeah. But but like one, um, I mean, I feel like they have... There are things like this for, uh, like, icon, iconography. Yeah. But, like, that's not what this was. Very clearly, it was mm-hmm. something that, like, she was meant to enjoy but was hidden away. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that she did have hanging up probably means a lot to her. I don't know. I feel like maybe it was, like, maybe it was like a one-power TV. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she uses the one-power watch TV in that thing? <laughs> Checking out Game of Thrones. Hopping into other fantasy worlds. <laughs> Maybe she's got the Lord of the Rings screener. Yeah. <laughs> um, cut to Stepan and Lan drinking, and Lan is asking about Stepan's offer to join Alana, and they joke about him hooking up with uh, men. Mm-hmm. Two men, which uh, Lan, pretty funny. Uh, it, you know what was interesting about that, though, is that it doesn't, like, Stepan talks about that in a way. You know, they could have gone for the cheap masculine joke of being mm-hmm. grossed out by homosexuality. 
That's not what they did. Instead, he was just like, huh, never tried that. And he's like, yeah, well, it would be too. And he's like, yeah, ooh, never done that either. Yeah, but it wasn't right. like it was some sort of like moral problem right. for mm-hmm. him. It was just like a sort of like, man, yeah, never driven a Corolla before. Right. I don't know if I'll like that stick shift. You know? I'm not um, sure I like blondes. Hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stefan then asked about Nynaeve. Stefan, speaking for the audience here, I feel <laughs> like. Finally, someone points out, maybe it's been done in this previous month. I don't know. This is the first time we get to see it. Someone going to land and saying, hey, bro, uh, yeah, she saved everybody, but she did it because she wanted to save you. Like, that's like, we need to talk about that for a second. Yeah. And Land is like, yeah, but she's never, she's not talked to me since. And he's like, yeah, she's not talking to you because she's, she's in love with you. Like, she's falling in love with you. And he says, it's a bad idea for her. Land's like, probably already like this. Bad idea for her. Great line, push line of the episode from Stepin. Love is usually a bad idea. Still, we allow it to happen, or this life would be intolerable. Land, well, I can tolerate a lot. Stefan says he does. Love triangle. Ah. <laughs> Woo! Nynaeve needs her two warriors. Is that what we're going with? I don't know, man. Is it going to be a Moraine versus Nynaeve situation? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't. Ah, poor Nynaeve. Can have trouble. all four. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just clear what they're, they're set. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but it's clear what they're setting up, which is... I mean, Nynaeve has strong feelings for Land. I think Land does like her, um, but it's so complicated by the fact that he's a warder for Moraine, but it doesn't look like he has a real romantic relationship with Moraine. Although we've established that if a warder and an Aes Sedai are romantic, it's secondary to the bond that they have. The bond Mm -hmm. they have is more important than that. But I think it is of note that they're not romantic, right? In the Mm -hmm. way that some of the other ones are. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Cut to the streets and we see it's the next morning. Pretty cool, like street, like level scene of the sun coming in yeah um they could have they could have showed you that it's morning in a million different ways that were cheaper than that <laughs> uh but they actually put some some money and, and thought into that you know it's a, it, it, as as the episodes go on it's just clear that the amazon opened up the coffers for this show and, and they're, they're getting little stuff like that that increases the quality mm-hmm. of the episodes land wakes up and he's passed out why because the goat's tongue was given to him. He was yeah. he was doused by his buddy Stepan. It was in the tea. Yeah, and uh, he slept all night because Nynaeve has that real real. She gives you the good stuff. <laughs> um, she doesn't cut it. That's that's the genuine. And um, we also like, don't know how much he was supposed to use, and so I wonder if he sort of like mega dosed. Probably. Yeah. I mean, Lane was out for a long time. Yeah. It seems yeah. like he he didn't even. I mean, he was just one like cup, and he was out. Um, Land gets up, sees a dagger is missing from the room, panics, runs, and sees that Stefan has committed little Harry Carey, yeah, uh, killed himself. Um, I really like the the silence of like his desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was just an interesting choice that they made um, in in filming that that run. Mm-hmm. Anything we want to talk about here with the reveal that Stefan killed himself? So I also want to comment that Stefan clearly took time, mm-hmm. so he didn't just run out of the room as soon as Land was down and go kill himself. He changed his clothes. He took a particular dagger and then went to a specific place and then killed himself. Mm-hmm. So very, very consciously done on his part. Yeah, a lot of suicide, you know, unfortunately yes. is, is yeah. like obvious. You, you can tell in the way that it's done that it was an impulsive move. And those are really tough. I mean, it's always tough, but those are particularly tough. This was not, this was well thought out. I mean, hell, mm-hmm. he even planned to get drugs because he, he even thought far enough ahead to think there's no way Land's going to let me be alone. So let me just make sure I'm prepared with some drugs for him. Yeah. Yep. Um, cut to 
the the last sequence of the episode, uh, someone we don't know who is leading this sort of like funeral thing for Stepan says, a landland dragon, land steps forward, lay your hand on him, relieve us of our grief. And this seems to be like a sort of catharsis that this is the, the, the way that they do this, which is they use one person to um, lay hands on the dead and to actually allow themselves to emit the emotion. And through that, it will be like a cathartic release for the rest of the group. That's what I took this whole sequence. And Land yeah. and his best friend is the person who does that. And it's tough, boy, because they have set this character up to be like freaking hard, man. He never so much as like grins. Like he's just straight faced and he just breaks down and he's crying. They are doing the arm, right arm over the chest beat yeah. thing um, for what that's worth. And, uh, but I was more interested in Land's reaction because, I mean, they, this actor, boy, does he flip. I mean, he goes for, he goes hard into really showing the emotion. And it seems to me in the reactions that Moraine is feeling his pain because they're, they're bonded, mm-hmm. but is also really taken aback at this like emotion that he's showing. I mean, she seemed like really like affected by this whole thing. So I think one of the other things that maybe, uh, we're supposed to get is that Len doesn't actually cry. He, he cries out. He screams in pain. But like we don't see tears. And we know that the Ace and I can feel what the warders feel. And so when when Land drank, Moraine got tipsy, tipsy, emotional. You know, a little bit more chatty. And so I think that part of her crying is the emotions that she's getting from him. And we see it so much more apparent on her face. Almost like she's not in control of her own crying because of the emotions that, mm-hmm. yeah. that are coming from her. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I'd like to point out about this scene is that when Lan is, is crying out like that, Nynaeve looks panicked. Almost like she wants to go to him. Mm-hmm. Like she starts like moving around a little bit. And I think she... She's real freaked. Yeah, yeah it's, it scares her. But I also got to get the sense that she's like... I almost like moving toward someone. him and um but gets the sense maybe i shouldn't do that like she's yeah. looking around seeing, mm-hmm. seeing yeah. the group here. i was on her braid a little bit yeah um we see shots of moraine watching with tears going down her, her face and uh smash cut boom boom end of episode there's recap folks for done episode all right Go work on the recap blood calls blood blood calls blood a very circular episode yeah yes yeah so, all right, are we ready for segments? Segments! Uh, we are. Let's do it. So, Tavern of the Week. Character of the Week. Headed uh, by me. Yep, headed by you. And I'm going to make you go first, so then you have to say what your choice is and then get to decide. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think every week I'm just going to pick someone who is not actually one of our main characters, because um, I think I'm going to go with Loyal. Because Damn it. <laughs> it's just such a lovely introduction. Yeah. And he's so unexpectedly, like, the the way in which he portrays him is so awesome. Like, mm-hmm. there are some things with the costuming that I'm like, ooh, that could be better. But I just love the character. And I love, yeah. like, especially I love the scene where he was monologuing in the background while Nynaeve was like, yes. what's going on yes. with Matt? So, um, and so I will well, say that... I think they really captured one of his descriptions in the books, um, which was his voice. It was like uh, like a swarm of raging bumblebees. Mm-hmm. And so that like sort of buzzing deep, deep character, mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. think they really sort of captured sort of that. And... Mm-hmm. That's when he tries to whisper. 
<laughs> yeah. So the other thing that you pointed out, Lee, on him was um, the fact that he was like, oh, and Aielman from the Two Rivers, who says he's not Aielman. Interesting. That's a very loyal way of approaching everything. He's like cataloging everybody because he's only read about people, like some of these people. And so he's like, oh, oh, I can match you up now. Um, so anyway, he's a great character. Yeah, it's funny. He's like kind of treating us like dogs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at that. that. Look at that tail. He must be a hound. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Well, a little bit of hound. Um, and one thing that they that they reference sort of in passing is that humans age very quickly in comparison yeah. to here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's sort of important to note in his characterization. Species age differently. We learn this in Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> Um, anyway, so that is my tavern of the week. Y'all are welcome to choose anyone else. Now we know. Now we have to try to dissuade you of that mm, by true. our explanation. <laughs> it has say, been Lee, flipped. You nominate your. I get to go next. Yeah, yeah. Perrin, obviously Perrin. Yeah. Um, I mean, first off, he is, but he becomes buddy buddy with Aram mm-hmm. through the, the travels, which I thought was growth for him because he started right out not trusting the uh, the tinkers and all of a sudden he's buddies with him. So it shows that like he can go from a place of like distrust to trust if he's getting good vibes from people. So I like that for his character. Um, he, uh, you know, I'm shipping uh, Egwene and Perrin, right? But let's place that to the side for a second. He shows like genuine love and concern for her, like in a, in a real, like, like, uh, like base way right mm-hmm. it's coming from somewhere like honest from him a platonic love not like a, a yeah, romantic one absolutely like, like i really care or, or yeah. maybe it is right but again that's almost sec- but it's almost yeah, secondary right, right? Yeah. because it's like a true like i am willing to die to stop this person from being harmed like and that i mean that's pretty deep right and um he also like it seems to me it gets yellow eyes i don't know like sarah's <laughs> trying to convince me that there was no like one power going on from Perrin. i don't know um, well, because you were saying that the one power was crazy coming ideas from... you putting in. I, I just her. said it was unclear. I said I that there was a possibility <laughs> that it is coming from Egwene. Well, I wouldn't go back to it if I didn't think it had some merit. So don't get defensive. <laughs> like, I mean, they read, you got doubt in my head now. But he something was shown from him that was that abnormal. Is true. abnormal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not everybody hulks out and gets yellow eyes in the way that he did. So it shows me that there's a lot more going on with Perrin than I first realized. Hand up. I was wrong about the guy. Perrin. All right. Also, we got the, um, him talking about killing his wife, Layla. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah. I think that... That was that, a big moment. Yeah. A big moment for him in, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cathartic. Sarah. Um, I am going to nominate, because it's the last time I'm going to be able to, Stepan. Um, I mean, I think that this, this episode was like a sort of about his arc in a lot of ways, but the arc itself was so interesting. And so I like both the actor, we talked about this at the very top of the show, the actor who portrayed Stepan did a bang up job, um, in this episode, but there's something, what I found so interesting about Stepan in his grief in this process, um, throughout this episode is that he was really, although he was completely wrecked and very clearly planning his suicide over the course of this episode. He was also doing the thing that people in deep grief do with other people that they love, which is try to manage them at the same time and try to convince them that they're kind of limping along with them. So when he was talking to Alana's 
um, warders and Lan was in the room as well. Like he made some sort of feeble jokes with them and kind of did that reassuring thing. Right. He did it with Lan later. He even said, when I bonded with Alana. Yes. And so he's he's like, oh, see, it's okay. You don't I'll have to do worry it. about it. will be fine. Yeah. Um, so I thought that that nuance, because this easily could have just been that character wrecked the whole time and like yeah. the slow death march towards the end of the episode, right? Um, but we didn't, we didn't get that. We got the nuance of like, he still really loves these people around him. They are his family. He is taking these steps. Um to reassure them, even as he himself is planning to kill himself, because that's the only thing that he can do. I I thought the whole the whole um, portrayal was really great. Yeah, completely. It's a strong nomination. Um, while we're winnowing him down, um, I'm gonna have to go one way or the other with oof, um, <laughs> Egwene, because um, I think we get a lot more about her, and we see that. I mean, we, we already had a little bit that she was ambitious, but, like, we have the story about her being, you know, with the the breakbone fever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also get, like, how strong she holds to her convictions of just, like, all right, cut my throat. Like, do whatever. Like, you're either going to do it or you're not. Like, why are we even talking? Um, and we get her really purposefully channeling, like, under some duress for the first time. And... Depending on how you view that scene, maybe a little misdirection, maybe just, uh, you know, figuring out how to do it under stress and, and really having a surprising amount of control from going to from like a, a flash and a stone to, you know, quickly lighting a fire, you know, without a lot of control to like throwing a fireball without moving our hands, which is sort of more than we've seen from Moraine, not in terms of sheer power, but in terms of like control. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is very true. I still think I'm going to go with loyal because loyal to the end. <laughs> um, but those are some very strong contenders for a tavern of the week. Okay. Well, All right. We well, were not able to convince her. To very her strong yeah. introduction to a character, I will say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that the also interesting thing is... Re- well, is it? My thing is like, isn't it? He does... He doesn't do much. That my well, thing is like he's that's not, not true. Is he, he important? inadvertently brings Nynaeve back to Rand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very funny twist. So, but like, yes, he is interesting and yes, yeah. he's quirky. But ultimately, it seems like a distraction. Yeah, like, he doesn't seem like somebody who's really going to matter to the, toward the thrust of this plot. Sure, I will say that he does sprinkle tidbits of the world. That we've gotten so far. So so I I think that those are helps. I you know, I will go go with Lee here. I don't I think he is your favorite character. If you and and excited uh, because you've read the books. Yes, is how you're choosing. Not of the episode. Right. For the casual partially it's because he's unexpectedly much better than I thought he was yeah. going to be. So I think before you were going to say anything, yeah. I was going to go, okay, Lee, you've made me rescind my my strong, you know, loyal mm-hmm. stance um, and go with Stefan. Okay. Because he does really complete this episode. Like, this is his episode. Yeah. And yeah. he's never going to be there again. And I get like, I, like, I get like in the, that character. It's just like, you know, I, I don't know. I can be capricious. You, yeah, you can, yeah, you can, like, <laughs> Yeah, you can watch it and yeah. be like that. That character's cool, but it's like it, 
I mean, if the real thing here is like, who's going to be, who's going to be the dragon? Who's going to fight the dark one? Who's going to do like yeah, all this, this important is, um, stuff? The most this, interesting. This guy character. seems like, yeah, he's just yeah. a guy in a lot of He's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we have Gleeman's Corner. Um, so we're going to do quotes, uh, maybe conversations. Um, and uh, as I did with Bree, I'm going to start since I'm making the decision. Um, and so... I'm going to go with something that we haven't quite mentioned, um, but I thought was really an interesting tidbit from a character that you might not expect it from, which is we are all someone important under the light. And Mm. that was Child Valda being super creepy when uh, Gwen was saying, like, I'm just a no one from the two rivers that should never have left it. I think that we have a kernel of truth and an interesting thing from from a very weird corner to have said it. Yeah, fair enough. I think I'm going to go with Egwene is many things, but above all else, unbreakable. Fair nomination. So I'm going to go back to something we were talking about um, with this conversation between Nynaeve and uh, Leandrin, where um, we get this like one real human moment from Mm -hmm. Leandrin. And she says, you know, women hold... Women hold the power, but men still control uh, much of the world. And they aren't very kind to little girls who show a spark of being greater than what they are. And I really want... I'm sensing a a little bit of a theme in what I care about when we're choosing these lines of the episode. Is it something that gets at what is the real lived life of people outside of our main story, Mm -hmm. right? And this gets so much... Um, at what the lived experience of girls who can touch, and, and boys in some cases too, but like girls who can touch the power out in a village somewhere, what are they living? Right. It's grim. Um, and I think that's so interesting because we get those moments sprinkled in through here, and I think they're really powerful. It's good. Uh, for me, I am picking uh, my favorite character, Moraine. Uh, it's all right to, to naive. It's all right to be afraid. You reached out and you touched the source. You saw how small you are in comparison to it and how great you are in comparison to those you always loved. And now you're wondering how you fit in the world. Can you ever go back to being who you were? I know because I felt it too the first time and the answer is no. You'll never be the same. But it's time that you saw that for the gift that it is. Strong. Strong mm-hmm. from Strong. Strong. Um, I'm going to choose in a moment, but I think... Again, I'm going to do a runner-up that isn't actually going to be the line of the episode because we sort of, uh, Lee, you mentioned it before, but I think it's very important to both Matt and Rand. Uh, the let's make a deal, all right? All right. If it turns out it's one of us that you or me can channel, uh, we, want to let, uh, we won't let each other become like that. And just, like, again, it's reinforcing their relationship. It... It is sort of leading us to, you know, who's the dragon reborn? Like, what's going on here? Um, and and I think it's an important line in this episode. But I am going to go with you, Lee, yet again. Uh, because what Moraine says is so important. And it's more, it's important for not just Nynaeve. It, like, it's such an important thing that she said that I think applies to basically everybody we've met so far. Um, especially with the the two rivers five that like they're 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 gonna be uncomfortable they're they're doing things that they've never done before and can they go back maybe maybe not but they need to like figure out what they're gonna do and accept it and so I think it you know very definitely applies to Egwene and you know 
we have hints that that the other three have other things going for them too. So I, I think, and that sort of typifies like what's going to happen or what might happen to to anybody that that comes into some power. Yeah. What I think too is so is so powerful about this quote is that like it is very specifically being used. Moraine is talking about touching the one power mm-hmm. um, and you know learning how to chow- channel and coming into that power, but like fundamentally what we have in the first book and in this season too is like just a journey tale mm-hmm. and no matter which of our five turn out to be able to channel or not and how that ends up they're all irrevocably changed oh, yeah. just sure. from leaving the two works yeah. right yeah. um so that's always already going to be baked into them and i think that's um the beauty of this type of story yeah yeah 100 all right so we have theories and questions um Lee, theory you, time. You are uh, the, the, the exciting up. one here. Uh, yes. Uh, got a theory this yes. episode. Um, this is going to be a long game theory. So, like, so far right. I've been dropping theories and just cashing quickly. Yeah. Just yeah. right up at the window every week, getting them right. This one's going to be a long game because I think this is probably going to take a long time for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be really disappointed if it went. But Moraine's comment to Alana, I think that she dropped her guard for a second. And she said, I've read that you can break the bond with a warder. I don't think she really meant to be that open and honest with Alana about where her mind was at. I think that she thinks that she's going to be killed from an Aes Sedai or from a White Cloak or something. The way she's living her life, she she's out there, man. I don't think she thinks she's got a lot of backup. Mm-hmm. And she does love Lan and does not want him to be hurt. And when she saw and felt the real pain at the end of this episode... That he felt from Stepan. And that's not even somebody he's best. That's just his best friend. Like it's going to be way worse than that for Moraine. She knows that. I think that some point down the road. She's going to break the bond. And it's and Lan will then bond with Nynaeve. And be her warder. And Moraine is just going to be fucking out there. Just doing Moraine things. Being awesome. But by, with no warder. Um, because she she's selfless to a fault. Like the, our first explanation of Moraine by a third party, selfless to a fault. And that's what she'll do for land. So there you go. That's my theory. I like okay. it. Okay. Interesting. Any others? That's, that's all I got your, this your week. Your big one. That's all I got <laughs> all right. this week. Yep. All right. Uh, and now we have my favorite segment. Dragon Power Rankings. Dragon Power Rankings. Big shakeup this week. I promised it. Yeah. My line is a huge shakeup this week. Um, so number one. Oh, no. Let's, let's do reverse order. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Right. We can go to reverse order. Um, I think we can drop Loghain off the Dragon Power. <laughs> okay, no he's longer off ranked. the list now. He he, pl- he played in he played in the games, but he's no longer ranked. He's off. Yeah, he's... A D- a DNF did not finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, a, like a college basketball team. Start strong, you know. Like yeah. Number one in the preseason, and lose your first three games. No longer receiving votes. <laughs> um, down at the very bottom, number I'm going to make him number six. This is going to be a twist this week. Okay. Number six is Rand. Very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like openly laughed at the idea that he might be able to channel like what he was talking with Matt. Like I don't think it's happening for him. I don't think it's in the cards for Rand. That's why Moraine was very quick to tell Rand, you can stay right the hell here if you'd like to. I'm going to leave. Um, because I think she's identified that he's not, not the guy. Uh, he, might be into, he might be very important to whoever ends up being the dragon, but he's not. So he's at the very bottom. Up above uh, Rand this week, I'm putting Matt. Matt has dropped in the power rankings. He used to be number two. Now he's number five. Interesting. Hmm. Um, because the corruption 
has come upon him so quickly and so intensely that I don't think he's going to be able to channel for any significant period of time. Um, he's just going mad too quickly. So he can, I don't think he can be the dragon. He's All looking right. pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, it's not like, I mean, you know, our guy, Loghain, who wasn't the dragon, or at least we don't think so, um, he he was corrupted, but like... He was he, conquering. He was yeah, nowhere. He was, he was way better off than what we're seeing Matt. And Matt's not even taking over cities right now, right? You know, mm-hmm. so Matt's got to be pretty low. He's dropped in the power rankings this week. Um, up above Matt, um, I'm putting Perrin. Um, Perrin's moved up this week because of the yellow eyes situation. Uh, I think he's got a little bit of a... And the possible channeling in that moment, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got him, four, I guess Perrin would be, uh, who's moved up. And then number three, I've added a new character, which is none of these guys. (laughs) I think it's important to add that. And the reason I'm adding it is because the reason that we think it's one of the the Two Rivers Five is because Moraine thinks it is. Mm -hmm. And increasingly what we're learning is that Moraine's outside of the mainstream with the Aes Sedai. And that, yeah, she might think that. God knows I love Moraine. But like we have to build in the idea here that she could be completely wrong. And that's very much on the table. And I'm going to put that at number three this week. Number two, Nynaeve. Um, Wait, that she's just straight up wrong and it's just somebody else? It's just somebody somebody else. Yeah, so number three now, a new, quote, new character is just basically none of these people. Okay. And I think that that's the third most likely option, right? Um, And then two, we've got, uh, we've got Nynaeve, Mm -hmm. who's got to be up there pretty high. Especially, I mean, you know, other Aes Sedai are giving her like street cred at this point. She's got to be pretty high, but still number one's got to be because when she needed to, she could she could abruptly channel. And I mean, her she's she's received what ten seconds of a tutorial at this point. She's received no training, and when she wanted to, she could just start doing it. So she's got to be pretty high. So there you go. There's the dragon power rankings. That is week. a shakeup. Yeah, big shakeup. This yeah, week. awesome. I like it. So we'll we'll, we'll we'll rehash them for folks because I went through them kind of slow. So we got um, number one Egwene, mm-hmm. number two Nynaeve, number three none of these people. Number four, Perrin. Number five, Matt. Number six, Ram. I like it. Game has been knocked off. I like it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so that's uh, that's a wrap. Part one. That's a wrap for me. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. May you always find water and shade. to part two uh, where we have a couple more segments but this is spoiler filled we will be talking about the books we will be talking about all sorts of things that if you haven't read the books and you don't want to be spoiled wait for the next episode this and is we not will, for you we will do our, our main part again uh, but we have uh, a couple of different segments uh, we're going to do reading the pattern where things fit into the bigger book picture the weft and the warp, how things have diverged from the book and how we feel about that, as well as disappointed dark friends, what people in the internet are saying, or us. Um, and I think also what probably I'm gonna we're gonna do at least a little bit is address some of Lee's theories and how sometimes really on point they are. This seems to be a theme yeah. of, of <laughs> what we're doing in the second part at this point. He is yes. a he is an astute prognosticator watcher of media <laughs> yes it's like he's watched many 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 tv shows before and kind of knows how they go yes uh, shocking 
So, uh, 100%, Moraine uh, does change Land's bond. Um, in the books, she passes it to another Ace of the Die, who eventually uh, passes it to Nynaeve, um, and, and that... they they do their things with each other. Um, you made it sound just as dirty as it is. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, so there's this scene, uh, Sarah, I think you will appreciate this, but maybe oh, I'll just boring. be grossed out, where... Um, Lan is bonded to another Ace Sedai and Nynaeve is kind of pissed about it and they are, I think, sleeping together for the first time, maybe? Um, and she's just, like, trying to figure out, like, if she can get Lan's bond and stuff like that. And then she goes, all right, well, you know, if we're going to do this, she's going to know about that. And Lan's like, yeah, you know, she will. Like, you know, I She feels get... everything through yeah, the bond. Yeah, and she, she'll know what's going on. And Nynaeve goes, well, can we make sure she knows it's me? <laughs> <laughs> it's great that's extraordinary yeah so what's interesting and i'm curious to see how they're going to do this is in the books the the bond goes to morel who is another green that has multiple warders okay there the fact that they're introducing alana so early and so heavily um makes Maybe me think that they're going to merge those two together. yeah sure 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 um, um, and that the bond will go to alana and so one of the things that my has done and they i think it's really important for this episode is she has dealt with warders who have lost their ace to die mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and like walk sort them through the specialty yeah, yeah. yeah okay through any means necessary gotcha right and gotcha and so i you know doing some of this uh therapy presumably and sort of getting them up I mean, she's not just having sex with them. I, I, like, there's definitely a, like, getting over their grief and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You don't need, Brie, you don't need to give me, like, crazy eyes like that. Um, but it's something that Maureen does. She changes the bond so it'll pass when she's no longer in the picture. And so, like, Lan is super pissed about this because it's not something that he agreed to. Mm. And I think that they're... they're Ooh, non-consensual bond transferring seems yes. real problematic. Yes. And the, hopefully we will dig into that because there are a couple of places where that comes up mm-hmm. because Alana does that to Rand. And, oh. Yeah, in the books. It's so, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and so that's one of the big things where... Um, she finds out he's the dragon reborn and then is just like, you can't just be like running out in the world. Like this is insane. Like, and so in the books, the Ace and I have some control over the waters, which they haven't really leaned into mm-hmm. in, uh, which is probably just in the well. show. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's more like, Hey, can you go do this? And like, yeah, sure. But she tries to do this to Rand and Rand's just like, Nope, I'm not doing any of Bye. that stuff. Bye, I hate you. Oh, um, and and so, like, she just wasn't ready for any of that. So we'll see. Like, hopefully, they'll do like a little bit better management of like mm-hmm. this whole uh, bonding situation yeah. and, and have it be a little bit more. Because they do talk about in in the show that the warder bonds the Ace Sedai too. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the books, this is really like something a that the Ace Sedai does. The warder, yeah. Hopefully with their agreement. Um, And we actually do get a prequel book where where Moraine and Lan meet. Okay, so this was going to be... I have like a couple of different questions really about like warders. um, Yeah. This 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 is a very warder heavy episode. It it really is, which I thought was super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, where I am in the books, like I really... I'm still mostly just interacting with Lan yeah. at this point. And like, there's no discussion of how bonding actually works or really, I don't even know that they really discussed the bond no. at all. Um, so when 
an Aes Sedai and Warder bond is that, like, it, it's clearly, like, an actual... This is going to sound strange because, like, this doesn't exist in the world, but it's clearly, like, an actual bond because they do feel what each other feels. Right. Yes. But it also seems to be a ritual, but it also seems to be an agreement and almost, like, a contract. Like, how does this actually happen? Yeah, so that is something we get some scenes later in the book of people bonding other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, it is first and foremost, a bond made of the one power. Um, and okay. it's a, a way in which one person can feel another and maybe to some extent control them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also particularly for the Aes Sedai, it should be a contract between, you know, an Aes Sedai and her warder um, that has all the conventions of, you know, to protect the Aes Sedai to the, you know, very last breath. Um, to do all these things for her, and she will do things for you. The other thing that it does is it actually boosts both people. Mm. So they become a little bit superhuman in terms of, like, what they can tolerate or what they can withstand. So, like, Moraine, with the Trolloc wound, she was able to go a lot longer than sort of a regular person should have, and part of that is likely due to the bond with Lan. Does that, and so that means that that's something that um, Red Aes Sedai are giving up? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, and the order gets a lot there too. Yeah. They become and stronger, they, faster. Yeah. Better. Need, recover better. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit of that when Stepan says, you know, I don't, I don't need to sleep as much as I used to, mm-hmm. so I can worry about you. Yeah. And I think that's a little hint of they are playing into that in the books. Okay. That's, that's interesting because in the same way that, or kind of related to Stepan saying that, him, his explanation of, be deciding to become worthy of Karini here yeah. in this episode is also like well there but there's also will involved in it right. right um and so the other thing that we don't get here i don't know what the exactly they'll do with it there's a lot of tower training so like men mm-hmm. go to the tower to become incredible warriors and not all become warders okay this like, is my so, other yeah. question is like how do how do warders become warders because what we get in this episode that is interesting is we get a couple of different people talking a little bit about their backgrounds before they became warders right Stepan does the fun one does um and we know a little bit about lan as well um and so my it seems like one of the things they wanted to drive home in this episode is that warders can come from anywhere Yes. So, yes, so they can come from anywhere. There, So I think that there are two basic paths that people end up being warders. Mm-hmm. Either you have somebody who is an incredible fighter and they don't need a lot of training and the Esadab basically goes, all right, you, you're good. Like we have like a relationship you. or whatever. Okay. Or there's a training at the tower in martial arts, mm-hmm. in sword and in, in whatever else. And so I think that Maxim was sort of that stand-in. Like, we didn't get enough to really mm-hmm. know-know, but he came when he was 12, and this is the family that he had. So presumably, he came and has been training since he was 12. And so in the books, we have um, Gallad and, and Gowan, mm-hmm. who come to the tower and be, become and, and train. Mm-hmm. Gallad mm-hmm. goes and does something else that's insane. Gowan eventually becomes a warder, but like they both become some of the best uh, swordsmen in okay. the world. 
doing this. And I do think that we are going to get some warder training because we got one of the shorts that was about the best warder. Mm. Right. So okay. I do think that it is there. We just haven't gotten to it, which I yeah. think is interesting. Yeah. I, I think that they might do a little bit with Rand, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, um, well, because at the beginning be of the second book, you do have Lan and Rand training, right? right? So and you get that. My guess on. is like everybody's sort of going to come together in the next episode or really close to mm-hmm. hopefully Rand, uh, Land will start training Rand. Somebody's going to somebody have needs to train to that train boy Rand because he goddamn doesn't know what he's doing with no. anything. No, um, but it's super important to the development of his character and the mirroring of him in the previous dragon that he's a very good swordsman. Okay, and so I have I have two more questions about warders. Yes. The first is related. It seems from this episode, the kind of two backstories that we got of Warders, that possibly the ones who end up coming young to train for a long time are possibly from sort of like broken homes, essentially. Like you've got a lot of like orphanage vibes going on. I think it's possible, but not necessary. I mean, again... It's clearly not necessary because we do see some people, but I didn't know if there was, like, a trend towards... That kind of... People... Boys come here because they need a place to go. The White Tower takes them in because they need to... I don't think in the books it's really ever quite well explained. Okay. Um, I think it is probably that you have some aspect of boys that have no other options mm-hmm. and you also or that have maybe dreamed of always becoming a warder mm-hmm. because it's like a story yeah mm-hmm. but then you also have um houses from all of the different nations that are probably sending their you know like second or third sons to go get trained okay right um, and then okay. would go back okay. and so the other thing that we don't see in the tv show is that there's a tower guard there's mm. they have a i would say sort of gold cloak-esque police force mm-hmm. so of this city. And so my presumption oh, is that, that even that. even yeah. Yeah. Okay. the non-warders get trained, yeah. become really good warriors, and are employed by the tower in this tower guard. Okay. Which we, in the books we saw escorting Loghain, mm-hmm. it was a much bigger thing, but mm-hmm. you're not going to hire a hundred extras just to look pretty for a little while when yeah. your money can be better spent Maybe elsewhere. the tower guard was the women. Maybe. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, <laughs> Bria's pointing out her quote of the episode from her that we got when the drummers in yeah. front of uh, Logan. Logan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got, I don't know who these bitches are. Because <laughs> we're trying <laughs> to figure like, out who, who they are. They? Yeah. They're, they're, going not, on. they're probably not accepted. They mm-hmm. might be like, but tower guards don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. But maybe. I thought maybe so, they were novices. Like, I don't Yeah, But we see novices in other areas. Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're just in pure white and know yeah. nothing else. I wonder, yeah, I don't, because I couldn't figure out who they were either. I was trying to suss that out with much less knowledge than you all have. I thought maybe they might have been like novices, but at like a different stage of training or something like that. Which is sort of possible. Um, But like, again, unlikely. It depends on where they're going with the canon Mm -hmm. because in canon, and they even said it, I think, that after you pass your accepted test, you get the ring. Right. Mm. So they do say that explicitly in in the short in the animated short yeah. so oh, you won't the, have yeah. seen it okay right. but so they they explicitly say you know you go through the three stages mm-hmm. so you're a novice and then oh, okay once you pass your test for the accepted you get the i said i ring uh-huh. um and then you get the the shawl and your full i said i once you pass that training okay and so therefore 
none of those women had rings on, so they can't be accepted and they can't be novices because we saw what novices wear and they're in it like every time we, well, I guess we don't see any of them other times, mm-hmm. but they, in the books, at least it's a very, like, you always are wearing your novice dress. Like you don't get out of it. Right. Okay. And so we had two instances of novices, one where they were passing Moraine and Leandrin very briefly. Uh-huh. And then another time out when Loghain was yeah, there. Yeah. Out in the city. Very yeah. white dresses yeah, yeah. and sort of like a, an interesting pattern on the sleeves. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My last question about orders, we've talked a lot um, in this episode and a couple previous episodes about the the um, power machinations of the Aes Sedai in mm-hmm. the White Tower, uh-huh. particularly. Is there anything comparable within the warders? Like, do they have their own sort of structure, or are they just kind of linked up with... They're just kind of linked up for the... Well, so they are, generally. I would say the only split or fission comes when... Swan Sanche gets deposed, mm-hmm. um, and there is a big internal fight between the Aes Sedai, but also between different factions of orders mm. and or well uh, order trees. No, they're yeah, they're not okay. they're not actually orders. So, so basically, there there ends up being an uprising of all the trainees, and like that's a thing that like causes internal strife and a fracturing of the tower. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's I figured that they were didn't have like their own internal. Right. Power they, structure they that they were more like, but mostly not. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there is a, a lead warder that is referred to in okay. this episode. Okay. So but it is, something. he's probably like training as right. opposed yeah, to like yeah, political yeah. infighting and stuff like that. That makes sense. No, I just think it's interesting. Um, you know, we've gotten so much of, we've, we've followed the warders around much more at this point, but mm-hmm. I feel like we haven't really gotten the sort of like interior lives right. as much, um, except when they're grieving yeah i've got the grieving down yeah pretty yeah. well i've got good i've got grieving for i know what Aes Sedai and water grieving looks we could like drop now you into tarvalon and if there was a funeral going on for a warrior you'd be like check i got this professional tarvalon mourner that's yes. what i can do <laughs> we, we gotta, okay. um okay those are my warder questions for now i just i find that i find their whole thing super interesting um, cool. and so because you've read the book i i think it's worth pointing out to you um, we do see Padan Fane at least once in the episode. So he's oh, clearly yes. followed them there. I was so oh, excited. Interesting. Um, I and, didn't... And, oh, I missed it. I'm going to yeah. have to look, go back and see. Where, when do we see him? So, like, where should I be Do you remember when him? the boys first come in and they're walking mm-hmm. by all the shops and mm-hmm. there's a shop that has, like, birds that they're selling yeah. and then somebody's cutting hair? I heard whistling. Yep. So there was and whistling. I was like... Yeah. I know what this whistling yeah. is. What exactly. is this whistling? Okay. If you remember that, that little area... When Loghain is being brought past uh-huh. Rand and Matt, there is a brief scene where you see Padan Thane okay. doing a little grin, yep. has a little laugh, and he's actually not even labeled in the show, like on the X-ray. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's literally, it says, man chuckles. Yeah. Huh. And then he gets up okay. and walks away. Yeah. All right. In the, cool. the closed captioning, it's man chuckles, uh-huh. and he's like with the birds. Yeah. It's yeah. super cool. cool. Um, yeah, so, I was I, I was mad at myself today when I was rewatching it because I was I was locked in on the whistling, mm-hmm. but I couldn't put it yeah, together yeah. where that had come from. Uh-huh. Okay, that's really cool. And so, like, I, I like that they're bringing in that he's going to be chasing them after them everywhere. And so, like, one of our one of my theories, at least, and and I think you're sort of on, maybe on board with it, is that they might do a lot of the uh, Padan Fane chasing them and like weird things happening 
um, in the prison mm. in Tarvalon, mm-hmm. possibly, mm-hmm. Um, or they'll end up doing that at, uh, in the Borderlands, and they're obviously going to go there later in the season. Yeah. We got that from the trailer, mm-hmm. so we just have to see how that's going to happen. Tarvalon has a waygate. We have Loyal, yeah. so we have everything in Tarvalon that we had in Camelin yeah. before. Mm-hmm. We didn't cast uh, Elaine yet, so we can't actually be in Camelot. Sure, yeah, it's fine. Um, the other thing that we were talking about is um, with the um, Alana talking about Leandrin and her being the other major force, they might be wrapping up Leandrin with Aleda. Mm. And so. Or Al- with Alvarin. With Alvarin, yeah. So there, there are other people that, that she's possibly being wrapped up with. They are the Aesodai that eventually depose. Uh, Swan Sanchi okay. because she is supporting the Dragon Reborn. Right. Which has a lot of other complications. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was Leandrin was talking about recruiting Nynaeve mm-hmm. and Moraine's like, oh, that's silly. You know, there are all these things. But in the books, Leandrin's black. And mm. so that has very different things if she's recruiting yeah, what for is the recruiting black mean? versus recruiting for the red. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also, so I don't know if you caught this, but it's similar in some ways to what Elida was doing to Moraine and so on in New Spring. So when they were novices, Elida is an accepted and is above them mm-hmm. and sort of grooms them and trains them for the test that they have to undergo. Mm-hmm. And she's rather mean about it. Um, but it was interesting to me that Leandrin reaches out and strokes Moraine's hair, mm-hmm. and it was a little bit of a grooming or a petting of oh, a, like, interesting. I have a little control, and yeah. that somebody could do that to Nynaeve mm-hmm. that Elida did to Moraine when yeah. she was a novice. Interesting. No idea. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things I think that were cool, sort of call forwards to the to the book or the series. Um, Dragon Mount. Dragon Mount, which isn't named. Um, I guess for people who have watched the shorts, they'll have an idea of like, oh, yeah. that looks suspiciously familiar. But that was the first there's, episode. There's yeah. nothing. So yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing. nothing. Yeah. So so in in the books and in the short, we get that the dragon drew too much power and basically created a volcano. Mm-hmm. And in this episode short, we get that they built Tarvalon in the shadow of this volcano on purpose to remind them of like what happened in the breaking and Rand is the dragon reborn, and, so he, and would. he he would Despite remember being number six on Lee's ranking, which which is great, fair, <laughs> yes, because he's done nothing. Um, but I did I did also want to point out, you know, if we're thinking about things that belong from earlier ages, um, we have the what we think at least what BJ and I are hypothesizing are portal stones, and we see them three times, hmm. and so those are those big vertical. Um, pillars. Oh, yeah. oh interesting. That have the I was writing on about those. Yeah. So they don't look quite what I imagined. Uh-huh. Um, I imagined sort of more squat and circular mm-hmm. um, with sort of like a track of letters mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, I think they're pretty consistent and we see them with essentially all of our groups. Yeah. And, okay. and we see it a number of times. And this is something that where I, I think you've gotten up to this part where they fall asleep near one of the portal stones and just wake up somewhere. Um, possibly I not. haven't, anyway. but that anyway. So, makes so it's fairly as much early sense on, as you would expect. <laughs> right? And so that they're sort of everywhere makes that a little bit more like a thing that could just randomly happen. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I, I don't know if they're doing it, but I appreciate that it's there. Yeah. And 
I also, um, I meant to, to comment on this when Lee was there, but they really made it obvious that the White Tower was built with the one power. With mm-hmm. how intricate mm-hmm. and sort of lace-like everything mm-hmm. was, I think they did a really good job. I will say, while I was a little like skeptical when I saw the far away shots, like in the you know pre mm-hmm. previews, mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the intricacies of the lacing in all of the mm-hmm. rooms in all of the buildings like had a lot of care, and it does it is consistent with Tarvalon. Tarvalon was built by Ogiers mm-hmm. and Aes yeah. Sedai. Yeah. Um, there were, there were loads of other things to talk about, but yes. I will say there is a quick, a quick, like, flash of them, or of someone with a nose ring and then, um, connected to an earring, earring, which is consistent with the Mm CFO. Super exciting. That's Um, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like, so this is why I thought Logan might've been laughing briefly. Because he might've been laughing because he sees Rand. Mm. And I think we we get at some point that like he either has some sense of who Rand is in the books, or he can see Tavern. He I can see Tavern. That, that's his talent. Right. Oh, that's right. I and, do. Right. I, I, yes. I, yes. Yeah. So there's a whole discussion though on whether or not he would be able to see Tavern once he's gentle, because mm-hmm. he's not gentled in the books when he sees Rand. Right. But yeah. men can see other things, and it has nothing to do with power. But I don't know where they're going with this, yeah. but I could imagine that he sees. Like the most tavern tavern yeah. since shining the, real fucking brightly, yeah. Yeah. and it's like just a like, raging sun. Yeah. Yeah, like a raging sun. Yeah. And he goes, "Oh shit! Okay, yes, I get, I get what's going on. Well, I'm, this is hilarious. Yeah. We're in Tarvalon. I'm gentled and like I'm done, and now I know what's yeah. going on. My life is a mockery. <laughs> Forget it. Um, so who knows? Mm, yeah. um, anything else we want to cover in uh, the reading of the pattern? Mm. Oh, the the travels of Jane Farstrider was a nice little yeah, that was yeah. a nice nod. So hopefully we will. I hope they don't cut Noel. Yeah, I, I, I hope they don't cut him. And I also like that they tossed in the Carathon cycle, which is all the prophecies mm-hmm. and a little bit more. We'll, I don't and think they had a on dragon a lot. on yes, the page. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. The that that land was looking at and mm-hmm. it was like brightly lit with like a shaft of light, yeah. which, you know, yeah. um, enough. So Weft and Warp... Um, They've changed so much at this point. Like, Don't even know where we are. It, it's yeah. kind of hard. I mean, we talked a lot about them not being in Camelon. They're in Tarvalon. It's okay. I think... I get why they have died. Like, you've yeah. got to... Stri- they went to just so many different places in yeah. that first book. Like, you've got to I mean, streamline it. They also lost three hours yeah. in, in making this show. Yeah. So, like, that's another thing. I think one of the one of the things that they didn't change and... I feel like they, they need to do a little bit more for is like, oh, there's this inn that Tom told us to go to, which is a really big thing in the books, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely no setup for it. So it's both a, a change and a not change mm-hmm. from the book that I just mm-hmm. really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, but that's where they had to be with where Loyal is. Uh, I don't know. I think I, it was weirdly done. I thought that Basil Gill had been cast. Has he not? I think he has, but we haven't seen him yet, so I don't well, know. Well, but I, do. I think that leaves it open for potentially we will have a scene where they they talk to the innkeeper, mm-hmm. and the innkeeper's like, "By the way, let me drop some knowledge for you." Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see. But it is a little bit disappointing because Basil Gill is like the queen's man to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And which with is his important. And not being in Andor, he can't be a queen's right, man. Right. Right. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll have him somewhere else. And this was just a way to get them to a specific inn that Loyal is in, which is important. Yeah. Um, 
let's see other big changes this episode i mean like it this is so far from the books it's kind of hard yeah so i think one um, thing that i'm a little bit disappointed in although i think it's it's fine the way they did it and i i think it works okay is that nynaeve and lan and moraine didn't go and uh free Egwene and perrin mm-hmm. and that's yeah, I something i kind that. of i missed mm-hmm. in the book or from the books um and instead Nynaeve is brought to Rand and Matt by Loyal. Mm-hmm. So, which seemed very abrupt, but I can sort of retcon it as, you know, Rand and Matt are very strong Tavaren mm-hmm. and they need help. And so the the pattern bent around them mm-hmm. and pushed Loyal to be like, I'm going to go for a stroll in the gardens. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Nynaeve was there mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, you have a brain. You mm. must be from the two rivers. <laughs> You need to come with me. I have a big, tall, red-haired man that you need to <laughs> and meet. And one very sick-looking man. <laughs> one very sick-looking one. Um, and so, like, they're clearly having to winnow stuff down. Um, and I think that they're doing things that that scene, basically, Nynaeve, Land, and Moraine freeing them from the, the, the White Cloaks does in the books. They... That was one of the places where we get some interaction between Land and Nynaeve that mm-hmm. I think was kind of lacking and and i think we're getting that anyway yeah um, so i guess they're they're doing the purpose of that scene right one of the purposes of that ways. scene we get another one purpose of that scene that moraine can't actually harm them we're getting that in like a lot of other uh yeah. places um and they're doing the wolf thing very different and i don't like it so far it's okay um yeah. I, you know i think i understand why it's not super obvious that parents just like wolves come help me and mm-hmm. they come help because then he's out of the rankings. dragon reborn right. rankings yeah. and clearly Which, he's rocketed up this week based on literally that yeah well but i will you know one one of the things that is a little bit frustrating to me in this sort of will they weren't won't they what's the drag who's the dragon what's going on here is that um i think for the casual viewer, as evidenced in how Lee is talking about some of this, absolutely, it's not clear what counts as using one. Be- like because they're trying to prolong this question, anything aberrant has gotten wrapped up in. Well, it's they're just channeling. So right, but I think that's really fair because one of the things that Perrin gets confused for is mm-hmm. a a dark friend or b yeah a channeler because yeah. they don't Constantly. understand the power. And then we get the explanation that the wolf brother thing is older than channeling the one power and we get a lot more explanation there matt's thing no one's sure about what's going on and i think even by the end of the books like no one's actually sure what's going on with Matt, other than cool things happen because he's matt okay all right well then maybe it's more fair than i in the car yes yeah Yeah. then that (laughs) That was was so funny so Matt being a gambler and having all of this luck and at some point said, you know, we'll see what's in the cards for Matt. Lee said, we'll yeah. see what's in the cards for Matt. Oh, and it was like, like oh, you are foreshadowing and you don't even know it. Yeah. It's great. Um, so let's move on to Disappointed Dark Friends and, and wrap this I up. I have one final mention. Yeah. That I was very excited that they had persimmons in this for like the, all the little fruits that people are eating because peaches are poisonous in this turning of the wheel. Okay. And so, not ne- eating any peaches, they're eating persimmons. Fascinating. Okay. okay. I had no idea. Yeah. Cool. 
I've stopped reading the internet for disappointed dark friends. I am uninterested. Well, part of the reason I'm uninterested is that it is just a continual rehash of it's not the book. It's not the book, and it's that's just not interesting to me. One thing I was so I'm going to do my own. I'm going to take the segment, and you all can read the internet if that and (laughs) report back to me on it. But I am going to take over as just like what is my disappointed dark friend Mm -hmm. moment, and I as we mentioned in the first half of this show i am wearing white mm-hmm. as a mourner um but and i promise this is not always going to be about costuming and this isn't about the quality of the costuming but i am so mad that there are three distinct groups that we encounter in this episode that are entirely dressed in white mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mourner mourners novices children of the light what are we doing here <laughs> like yeah why is white um, such a thing so yeah so i well you know, with the, the Children of the Light and the Novices, I feel like that's, like, there are reasons for that. Yes. There's, like, blank slate and cleanliness and, and, and so on and so forth. I think with the mourners, they were really trying to draw on different cultural mourning practices. Sure. And so that's sort of where that was. I 100% agree with you. I just you. think it's It's like, I think it's, it's a little silly. bit too much. Yeah. If they had gone black, I think that, been fine. that would have been just the same, yeah. basically. Well, and I think that could have presented problems down the road. Sure, but like just choose, just choose yeah. something. Yeah. Part of gray. the problem, gray, gray sure. would have been fine. Part of the problem and why it is so annoying to me in this episode is that this was a heavy Children of the Light episode, and it was mm-hmm. a heavy morning episode, and right. so you have a bunch of scenes where it's mashed up like, next to each other with where, the same motifs. Yeah, and, it, and um, they're wrong. It's yeah, yeah, it's just like visually mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that there are other departures that are going to be problematic, but, but yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I, I think that they go for certain things and mm-hmm. then like this probably just got missed, yeah. honestly, which yeah. is a little disappointing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, do you all know what the internet are disappointed about? Uh, I a think lot a lot of... of it was this felt like a very middle episode. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So there's not, not yeah. as a much battle yeah. action. Um, we get, I, I don't think, honestly, and I was a little disappointed, I feel like we were supposed to get a lot more payoff from Rand and Matt, um, mm-hmm. in this episode, mm-hmm. or sorry, um, well, Egwene and Perrin as well, but like, I wanted a lot more to happen and we didn't actually get all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it's a very like, we're taking a pause, we're taking a breather. Right. We've yeah. got this side story that we talked about with the warder, which I do think is actually really relevant to the story and the world that they're building. Yeah. But at right at this moment, it feels a little bit like a, wait, why, why are we mm-hmm. wandering around over here dealing with people's emotions? <laughs> they're not our main people. Yeah. But it is, I think it is actually really important. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah. that's a lot of the complaints. Okay. I was going to say, the last thing, um, and you do have this written in your notes, yes. that they seem to be shrinking the number of Forsaken and probably like condensing, com- con- condensing combining, mm. which... Fair mm, enough, because I still can't enough. keep all of them separate yeah. and where they're... And we've read the books a number of times. Yeah. But... Like, you have so much time to introduce them. Like, they're not going to, you know, really end up anywhere into, like, book three, basically. You know, we get one in book one. Right. And then it it spirals out from there, but you have 14 books. So it's okay, but a lot of people are kind of pissy about it. But But, whatever. I'm excited to see who they've kept and who they haven't. I have my theories. Yep. hmm. I will say that I, I really appreciated that this was a little bit 
quieter of an episode and like mm-hmm. more Absolutely. introspective yeah. of yeah. an episode. I thought it was great. Yeah. I think it really, it explores the world a little bit more mm-hmm. and it, well, yes, it feels a little bit like a filler. Like I said, yeah. I think it sets the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like the filler episode. I feel like I've said this a couple of times in the course of this episode, but like the, these episodes in a fantasy world really just allow you to live with other people for a while, which I, I, I really like, like, let me just spend a little time just out in the world. Right. Um, And that's what this felt like a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, we talk about that a lot in one of our other podcasts, Mangum Reads. That's um, true. Where you can find it, mangumtalks.com, like everything else. But in short stories, which as episodes yeah. essentially are, like knowing that it's a fleshed out world. And mm-hmm. this is how we sort of get that it's a fleshed out world, living yeah. with other people, is super important to the telling of the story. Yes. All right. It's well, been fun, y'all. Yeah. Sarah and BJ. Yeah. May you always find water and shade. Thank you.